3: Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
5: You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio.
6: Ah, yes, living the dream once again on a fabulous Sunday. Hartman and Ornberger with you once again in the Fox Sports Radio studios. It is a big week, highlighted, of course, by the NFL draft, which starts on Thursday. And Rich, I just want to tell everybody out there before we get started, for the very best NFL draft coverage, be sure to tune into Fox Sports Radio throughout the first round of the draft on Thursday. You can catch the NFL's best information man, Jay Glazer, draft analyst Bucky Brooks, the former number two overall pick, Lavar Arrington, and Fox's Kevin Burkhart, as they'll be live throughout the first round beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. You're going to have the pick-by-pick predictions, reactions of all 32 first-round picks. That's Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, Glazer, Brooks, Arrington, Burkhardt right here on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeart Radio app.
7: And you're getting the very best because, as everybody knows every year, Jay Glazer has the scoop, and uh, it's usually minutes, if not longer, prior to the picks that are coming through. So if you're curious a little bit ahead of time, what your team's destiny may be—that's a guy who has all the dish. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the draft. I, this is a part of the year, obviously for me, very sentimental. Next to marrying my beautiful wife, having two kids with her, that was the greatest day in my life. I mean, it really—I—it's—it's it's a top four moment for me, right? Because nothing, nothing had trumped that moment prior to. And until these more, you know, monumental milestones of growing up and having a family occurred, that was the best it had ever been.
6: Yesterday, Troy Vincent, vice president in charge of football operations for the NFL, was on with Lavar and TJ and Plaxico here on Fox Sports Radio. And, you know, the coverage of this year's draft is going to be taking some of the... The best elements of what happened a year ago, when it was all virtual and everything else, and we watched the commissioner munch on peanut M&Ms until he went uh, passed out. He literally literally passed out. He had his feet up on the ottoman. Uh, There was like a TV
7: guide opened on his lap. And every once in a while, they just poked Raj with like a boom mic off camera. And then he wiped some M&M crumbs off his chest. He was like... Ah, uh, who are we up to? The Bucks again? What's happening? I mean, it
6: was it was unbelievable coverage, right? We were all having a good laugh last year. So, but one of the things that Troy Vincent talked about that they took away from last year that was effective was to have more people have access to more of these athletes in this moment. As you mentioned, you yeah. were a fourth round pick. Yep. And it was, you weren't a first-round pick. There wasn't a lot of spotlight on you, but wherever you were, I mean, there was a lot of excitement with the Ornberger family and everything else, and they were able to do that last year. So he says, we're going to be able to be in more homes to capture that moment, not just guys running on the stage and giving Roger Goodell a bear hug, but amongst the people that matter most to them in their lives, their friends, their family, and just to see that genuine excitement to know that they have gotten the call from the NFL what their future holds, who knows, but they've gotten the call from the NFL, fulfilling lifelong dreams for all of these players who've always (laughs) aspired to playing at the highest level of football. So I agree with them. I think that that was fun. It was great to see, you know, sort of getting in there. I just love even Joe Burrow last year, the number one overall pick, you know, essentially a pretty modest home for his parents. And they were just sitting there on the couch with their son and here's a guy that's about to become a zillionaire, and you guys just see a moment he's sharing with mom and dad. Yeah, look, it, and, and sitting on a very small couch, I might Very I'm small
7: couch. That, that was a two-seater. They were crammed <laughs> in there. It was probably just the and, – and that is true, what you just said. It was probably the best spot where they had maybe the best background in the house, and so they jammed them in there. But I agree with you. I think this idea of being able to see – or have a pie slice view into where these guys came from. We get background. We we hear where guys are from, but but we don't often see it, right? I I mean, you know, even though I played 6 years in the NFL and I'm sure there are some people who who must think some way of me, you know, as humble beginnings. And and that's fine. You because it doesn't matter where you come from. It's it's just a matter of who you are and the 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 abilities you have sports is a great meritocracy. If you have what it takes, they'll find you. And then if you continue to have what it takes, they'll pay you handsomely for those talents because obviously this is the most popular sport in this country and it's growing. The, the game is growing globally. It's it's obviously becoming more and more important to people overseas as well. Uh, can't wait for draft day. Again, a lot of fond memories of that, that moment. When I was called by Belichick and mm. Mr. Kraft, it was—it's just insanity.
6: You know, I—I I think back to uh, the Bachelor. You know, Chris Harrison, who's on hiatus right now, but he always has gotten ribbed that you know he starts the most dramatic moment, and you know it's like you know it's like a, it's like a cliche. It's almost laughable. But you're going to the most dramatic moment Coming in Bachelor history, next. right? <laughs> and and we say this almost every year going into the NFL draft that we got more drama this year maybe than ever. But I I think. This year, for a variety of reasons, that this really is a very dramatic NFL draft in terms of what's going to actually happen. I agree. And, you know, we we have the automatic number one. That's not in question with Trevor Lawrence, with Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars. But really, from the Jets on, suddenly you're getting so many different stories, so many things that are leaked out there. And... This is what you have to decipher, Rich. You know, during the week we've been talking to a number of people that cover the 49ers. And it just it's all over the map. You see the betting odds and who they're gonna take. Is it going to be Trey Lance? Is it gonna be Mac Jones? Is it gonna be Justin Fields? Assuming, of course, that Zach Wilson is the Jets pick at number two. Right. And it, it's made a lot of entry. They got betting odds and it seems to change day to day. And then after that, how are the dominoes gonna fall? Are we going to see quarterbacks taken with the first four picks in the draft? First time ever. We've had three, but we've never had one, two, three, four quarterbacks. You got receivers in the mix, you got offensive linemen in the mix. Who's moving up? Who needs to move up? Who's yeah. moving down? So there really is an insane amount of intrigue going into this draft, which will start on Thursday. So that's gonna be our main focus today. We got other things to cover, but we got, a, we got a monster draft coming up here that we definitely want to get into.
7: Yeah, and you mentioned a lot of the positions where they're really deep. Quarterback, obviously, that's well-documented before every single draft, and especially this one. This reminds me of the Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson draft where you had Sam Darnold then you had Josh Rosen. You have five quarterbacks of note that we've been hearing about all throughout this offseason leading up to the NFL draft. But the information is a little more sparse, right? Because we don't see them at the combine. So nationally, everything is televised the same weekend, where these guys are throwing to receivers or they're running the 40 or we have a more conglomerate idea of who these guys are and what they look like. If you were specifically interested in a quarterback or all of them, you had to tune into their pro day or pro days in certain cases, more than one. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting offseason season and, and making it more difficult to scout for these coaches as well due to the pandemic. So what happens as a result of that, you're going to see more home runs Meaning these football factories, the Clemsons, Ohio States of the world, the Alabamas, the LSUs traditionally this year was a down year. But you're going to see more of those big football factories pumping pros into the draft, especially in the high rounds, because those are the schools and the athletes you have the most information on. Uh, second, Second point about this draft that's really interesting, those quarterbacks. Say we have four come off the board in consecutive picks to start this draft. It really is going to demarcate a, a, a change in this league. The the idea that now we always knew the quarterback's most important position, but but we've never seen such a flurry to try to secure the the quarterback of our future in consecutive picks. So if that happens, I mean. That, that bodes extremely well for anybody playing the quarterback position at the, in college football right now because it's a feeding frenzy. Everybody's trying to get that position right. And guess what? Since the Arizona Cardinals did it in consecutive years with high draft picks in the top 10, moving on from Josh Rosen and taking Kyler Murray, these quarterbacks now have a short leash. If it doesn't work out year one, they'll go back to the pond.
6: All right. I want to jump on one quarterback right off the top, and that's Zach Wilson of BYU. Now, again, there's been so much talk about how this guy has skyrocketed up the board. A year ago, BYU was in a bad situation. They're an independent. They didn't have a conference affiliation. They literally were scrambling to get anybody to play against. Yep. And no fault of Zach Wilson. Remember, they were they had five Pac-12 teams on their schedule originally. All canceled. All canceled. So they had to figure out who can we play. And all of a sudden, Zach Wilson is just putting up these credible numbers yeah. against teams that were inferior opponents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to balance the two. Like, how much is this him? How much is this who he's playing? But this week, the report came out that Zach Wilson was reaching out to former Jets quarterbacks like Chad Pennington and Mark Sanchez to give an idea of what is it like to play for the Jets. It's really smart. And I just wonder, in fact, we're going to do this on this other side. I'm going to give you a scenario because we're we're going to get the dominoes dropping here very quickly on this draft. But we're going to start with Zach Wilson and the Jets and something that could happen. Maybe it won't happen, but could happen to change the dynamic of the rest of the draft. We'll tell you about it coming up next.
4: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events.
6: Steve Harbin, Rich Armberger, enjoy spotlight comfort and save big on your water bill with a Navian tankless water heater. Go tankless with Navian. You can save hundreds on a new Navian tankless water heater with local rebates. Visit tanklessmadesimple.com. Do you see Ryan's uh, producing today? See how this yeah. is? Yeah.
7: Yeah. See, you know, I didn't walk into the production studio because yeah. I came in with these delicious uh, little egg bites, they, they call them. Uh, you know, I, I was very, very. Interested in getting breakfast down. So, Ryan, Sam, Mm -hmm. excellent to see your two faces today. Look at that. Beautiful Sunday here in Los Angeles.
6: Uh, Well, we're very excited because we got so much to talk about with this NFL draft. All right, let's – okay, we know number one Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, no questions about it. And by the way, if anybody questions whether or not he is on paper the best talent in this draft from the quarterback position – Forget it. He is the best talent. There's no question he has the most potential of any of the quarterbacks in this draft. Case closed, all right? So let's move on from that. So let's go back to the Jets and this whole Zach Wilson thing. So Zach Wilson emerges from obscurity, putting up these gaudy numbers against inferior opposition at BYU. And you've had a chance to see Zach Wilson in action with your work with San Diego State, so you have a a bird's-eye view of what this guy's about. And all of a sudden, he's been elevated from complete obscurity to comparisons to Patrick Mahomes yeah. with his abilities to throw every th- throw, the arm strength, his mobility, and everything else. Suddenly, Zach Wilson is the second coming of Patrick Mahomes. But now all of a sudden you hear this story about Zach Wilson reaching out to these former Jets quarterbacks to get an idea of, like, what is it like to play for the Jets organization? So this is not unprecedented. With quarterbacks, ask Eli Manning. Go way back in the day with John Elway. Where quarterbacks who are going to be at the top of the draft suddenly make it publicly clear, do not draft me because I have absolutely no intention of playing football for you. Do you think it is possible in the next couple of days for it to leak out that Zach Wilson has no intention of ever being a New York jet and suddenly the jets in a position. And by the way, the jet, we remember we were talking about the jets with the Deshaun Watson trade possibly before, you know, what hit the fan with Deshaun Watson. We were talking about Russell Wilson. Oh yeah. When suddenly that was out there, Russell wanted out of Seattle because the jets have so much as far as trade power with draft picks and everything else. Could you see any scenario between now and Thursday where suddenly the Jets' second overall pick is up for grabs? Because if it does happen, obviously it changes everything.
7: Outside of the number one overall pick, I think any of these picks are up for grab. I really do. I And, and I understand the Jets need a quarterback, so I'm not saying it's necessarily them, but well, actually, I would say outside well, of number one. Well, let's focus on the Jets. I know. Outside of, they num- got rid of number Sam one Darnold and yes. number three. Yeah. Because the San Francisco 49ers leveraged their future to get to number three. Yes. So besides moving up further, I mm-hmm. think they're staying there, obviously. And Trevor Lawrence is going number one. So the Jets, could they trade out of it? Yeah, but you still have a gaping hole at the most important position on the field. And that's quarterback. You have an opportunity also with a deep field of talent. Uh, to pick the second best, whoever that is in your vision, I think it's more possible, more likely that they take someone other than Wilson. And this was a big smokescreen, uh, rather than them trading out of the position. Like, could it all of a sudden be Fields' name called second overall rather than Wilson? Yeah, maybe. I I do think that. It- How about a it- Russell Wilson trade with Seattle to the New York Jets? Well, okay, that is something I'll entertain. Since they do need a quarterback and there are other teams out there who have issues and and like you said, I think Deshaun Watson would have been a perfect candidate in this instance uh, if it weren't for the off the field issues and skepticism as to whether or not he'll even play a snap of football this upcoming football season. But Russell Wilson, is that a possibility? maybe. They just got that deal done to bring Adams over there. Do you think Russell Wilson would like to be in a Jets
6: uniform and playing in the spotlight of New York? I don't think he'd shy away from it at all. I don't I think he would be welcome to that idea.
7: This is what I forecast happening with Wilson, though. He'll play out this season with the Seattle Seahawks and I think I think after the season he's going to force his way out. I think that's how that goes.
6: I do believe the Jets will take Zach Wilson. Yeah. I, I think they're going to stay with Zach Wilson at number two. But we'll see, again. There's there's a lot out there, and and if they were to go with Justin Fields or you know a different direction at quarterback, can you imagine? Okay, so I want I want to go back yeah. to yesterday. Yeah. So yesterday. Jeff Schwartz and I were talking about the draft. By the way, Jeff and uh, Jason McIntyre, TJ Hushman Zod, and a host of thousands, they're going to be having like a streaming coverage Wednesday, Thursday. They're really going to break it all down, different outlets here at Fox Sports Radio as far as the draft is concerned. So Jeff was doing a lot of homework, and we ran through like the first 12 picks in the draft yesterday on the show. So obviously you had Jacksonville taking Trevor Lawrence. You had the Jets taking Zach Wilson. Now we get to the 49er pick. And this has just been wild. It really has been wild. Because when the 49ers moved up to three, it tells you that they felt like the only way we're going to get who we want is to trade up to the third spot. Otherwise, we're not going to get who it is that we want. So when you're trading future picks and everything else to move up just a few slots in the draft, you only do that because there's a guy you specifically want And the only way we're going to get him is to move up into that third spot to guarantee we're going to get him. So all the speculation who is going to be him, everyone assumed it was going to be Justin Fields or Trey Lance. One of these two guys is going to be the third overall pick in the draft. And then all of a sudden, all the stories came out that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were at odds on who's the best quarterback of the future. And Mac Jones' name suddenly pops up. And, this was interesting, Rich, because we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Of the 32 NFL draft boards, and every team has their own draft board and their order for the draft, and they're all covered up and everything else, how many draft boards do you think out of 32 have Mac Jones listed ahead of both Justin Fields and Trey Lance? And you're thinking, none? I mean, both? I mean, it doesn't seem likely. But I talked to several people that covered the 49er beat, asked them the same question over the last 10 days, and they they all had the same answer, more than you think. That's what I was. St- <laughs> more than you think, and I'm like, Steve, really, Steve? This,
7: more than you think. This is what I've been telling you for weeks. More, way more than you think. Because here's here's the two knocks against Trey Lance, uh, and and Justin Fields. Is their processing level at the level of a Mac Jones? Now, if you you want to put all of their, you know, intangibles in a basket and say, okay, who does what better? Most of them are going to shine in categories over Mac Jones' athleticism, potentially arm strength, you know, all those things. You know, evasiveness in the pocket. Although I will say this, Mac Jones has some pretty good awareness in the pocket, not tremendous under pressure, but as far as processing goes, this guy can get on the whiteboard and wow, coaches, that's all you've been hearing about him this entire draft process is he's, he's a football savant, right? So when you're thinking, all right, I'm an offensive coordinator, I'm in love with my, with my scheme, okay? Yes. I don't need to amend my scheme. I can bring a guy in and he can be plug and play. I can have what I like to call a headset quarterback. This is similar to Jared Goff when Sean McVay first got his hands on him. He made him a headset quarterback. He was literally telling him where to go with the football pre-snap, and he would go there with the football. Then I think they started loosening the reins a little bit, seeing how you know letting him you know venture further, further into deeper and deeper water. And Jared Goff struggled. He's not he's not the on-field processor that they were hoping him to be. But with a young quarterback, a malleable guy like a Mac Jones getting in his ear before every play. Hey, we're looking X receiver here, may not be open on the first window, check the second window. And they give him the play, and he can remember all this. So he's going to give the play call in the huddle. He's going to check defenses. He heard that idea about the X receiver, so he's going to be looking through. You know, is it a deep slant? Okay, not open, the safety bit. Second window's open, bang. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to be able to do those things. So that's why he may be higher on a lot of draft boards than,
6: you know, potentially a Fields or a Lance. I mentioned this yesterday. The first time I met Kyle Shanahan, he was eight years old. His father had just been hired as the new coach of the Raiders, and I was working for the Raiders, and there was 35-year-old Mike Shanahan and his eight-year-old son Kyle. That's the first time I actually met Kyle Shanahan. This is one thing I know about Kyle Shanahan. He is the son of Mike. And we all know this about head coaches. To get to the level of being head coach in the NFL, you got a healthy Ego. There's no question. You're not going to get to that level unless you have an ego. But I've said – Believe in yourself, yeah. Of all the egos that I've ever been around with head coaches, none has ever exceeded Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan, we're talking about a level of arrogance that he even displayed when he was 35 years old. He was a quarterback coach of the Broncos. He'd never even been a coordinator. And he basically looked Al Davis in the eye and took everything the Raiders had done for 25 years and threw it in the garbage in Al Davis's face. And Al was just uh okay. Yeah. And then after it didn't work four games into his second season, not only did he fire Mike Shanahan, he refused to pay him. Even though he had a contract. Never did pay him. He refused. Insubordination. You know, it was it really was <laughs> remarkable. So when I look at Kyle, yeah. I see the same thing. Like you mentioned, Kyle Shanahan, in his mind, is the offensive genius of this league. And unless he has a quarterback, the problem isn't him. The quarterback is the quarterback can't execute what it is I told him to execute. And so the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo misses a few passes, especially the big one in the Super Bowl, no. I mean, it's really the same thing with Sean McVay. you got these young guys 100%. that have these huge egos that I know what I am drawing up is foolproof. Unless I have a quarterback that can't actually deliver on what it is that I've designed. And so, you're right. When you look at the Mac Jones situation, perhaps, and I've been assured by everybody, that ultimately this decision is Kyle Shanahan's decision. It's not John Lynch's decision. It's Kyle Shanahan's decision on the future quarterback situation with the 49ers. And if he believes that Mac Jones can execute his offense as design, they won't hesitate. They'll take Mac Jones. Yeah, and and it really is on Sean
7: McVay to get it right with Stafford now. It right. really will be on Kyle Shanahan to get it done with whoever they take third overall because they are the quote-unquote QB whispers, the young head coaches of this league who have a, a system that they want to match with the right guy because they believe in the system over the talent. Now, it works in certain cases. I mean, it certainly worked for Belichick and Tom Brady. I mean, the system was in place before Brady showed up, but he was the perfect field general, Manchurian candidate, headset quarterback, as I like to say it, through the first couple of uh, uh, years of, of, of that becoming what it became, that dynasty And then he matured into his own player and he started helping coordinators develop an offense. Charlie Weiss, Josh McDaniels, Billy O'Brien, back to Josh McDaniels. He helped cultivate an offense. Will that eventually happen with one of these quarterbacks, with one of these young head coaches? I don't know. But they all want to get that guy that they can depend on to run their offense in their vision and have success
6: doing it. All right, let's find out what's trending right now. Speaking of healthy egos, David Gascon. is, is joining us once again on wow. this beautiful it's a, Sunday. It's a decent
5: ego. We all got our egos, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, absolutely. No, no but, no uh, you know, some it.
6: are well founded, including yeah. yours. Yeah. Well, it is. It is. By yeah. the way, did you hear that he's. he's big star now no,
5: no, no. actor uh, yes
6: yeah
7: oh yeah. i know oh, yeah. i've seen yeah. is he he, acting chops he's, yeah there. he's got chops there's yeah. no question mm-hmm. about pork
5: i uh yeah. i say academy
6: awards tonight won't be long
5: <laughs> i did uh i did get a haircut for the first time since november 19th i saw of that 2020 where,
6: where, how did you decide on that cut
5: well i was told i had to grow it out specifically for this role right. oh, wow look at you and, okay. uh, i had to look like a old school 1990s reporter so right I had not grown hair that long since I was a teenager. Mm. Yes. But unfortunately our technical director, Iowa Sam, can't grow hair that long anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing over there, Iowa? Yeah, no, he's, 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 he's dancing. dancing along. away, he's yeah. just waltzing in the studio. I think he was
0: trying to play you off the stage. <laughs> That's enough of you. Mr. <laughs> what Garrett, about Gun. me not growing my hair? I can't I can still grow hair. It's uh, still there. Just, oh
5: yeah. I just wanna check and see if you're paying attention. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's exactly.
0: still a little lettuce in the bowl.
5: It Thank is goodness. He is. I'm too young. <laughs> Are you guys doing a, a get together, Steve, with the uh, the misses, the ex misses, whatever you want to call Denise? Are You guys doing like a an Oscars party? I'm
6: working tonight. I you know, in fact, it's I don't really. I'm, a, I'm at the TV station. Times. It was really hilarious because I work at an LA station in Hollywood, no less. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be at Union Station, which I still don't understand how you're going to have the Academy <laughs> Awards at the train station. I mean, so, uh, but we we actually, since they're not going to have the normal reporters, the red carpet situation, we actually set up our own red carpet outside of our studios. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all laid out, so our our Hollywood reporter is going to be out there on this essentially fake red carpet. Are
7: you going to be wearing a, a tuxedo for
6: your I, sports I feel like report? I, I may run out there on the Dude, red carpet I'm, and like wave and everything. You else. know what you should
5: do? What yeah. are you wearing? Well, I'm wearing a the champion same polo suits that I always wear. <laughs> We should just get you a a, a nice ice blue mm. Sub-Zero costume. How I about like that? that? I like that I'm idea. In honor of Mortal Kombat coming <laughs> out. Uh, everybody that has seen
6: Mortal Kombat, <laughs> including you, says that movie it has no redeeming value other than the fact that it delivers on the gore. Yeah, Like, it okay. is over the
5: top. Well, you know I'm what? Sure. Uh, Sonya Blade has a redeeming quality about her. Yeah, okay. But Mm. outside of that, Mm
6: -hmm. I mean, yeah, Uh, limbs and other, you know, a lot lot of stuff just
5: ripped off pretty much. There are a couple characters that were fantastic. Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Kung Lao were Mm. were great. Garbage. But (laughs) next next year, I'm sure next year is going to clean up
6: at the Academy Awards.
5: (laughs) No, definitely. Guys, oh, uh, Austin Hayes with a solo home run. Orioles are taking on the A's who have won 12 in a row. It's one to nothing. Baltimore with the lead in that one. Kansas City, Detroit are scoreless. Same thing with the Yankees and Indians from Cleveland. Got a little date this afternoon between the Padres and the Dodgers. First pitch is at 7 o'clock Eastern. Dustin May versus Joe Musgrove in that pitching matchup. San Diego 12-11. Dodgers at 15-6 and 6 on the year. In the NBA, one game on the docket right now, Hornets 28, Celtics 19. There's a report from Adrian Wojnarowski that says, Kevin Durant is expected to play today in that affair. Suns and Nets tip-off time is about an hour, two hours away from now in Brooklyn. So we'll see you back in the court. All right. Steve, do you have a favorite award that you love to see? I mean, best picture, best score. Uh, you know what? A- I, I'm I'm a little upset this year
6: because <laughs> Iowa. they actually did away with a category. Which one? And it happened to be the category that my father worked in for all these years, and that's sound, sound effects. Yeah. Oh. So the 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 when they give out best sound, that goes to what we call the sound mixers. And if you don't know how a movies put together. You have, you have the music and you have the dialogue and then you have the sound effects. And the sound mixers have to sort of, you know, put it all together in the right order so it you know, makes the movie better. But they apparently have decided that sound effects alone is not a category. You have visual effects. And so now they've combined sound effects and sound mixing, which are two entirely different things. And it really upsets me. Yeah, well. they have done away with a category that, you know, my father did for 30 years and uh, they just suddenly, because sound mixing and sound editing are two different things. Well, and also,
7: I I would argue yes. that the sound, the score, especially the music mm-hmm. choices, what you hear, especially in theater when you have the full surround sound experience. Yeah, like if you watch, they do this sometimes. Now they'll cut a scene with with different sound effects, like a, a creepy movie scene oh, yeah. or a really intense dramatic scene, and if you take away the score. And you take away the sound effects, you know, maybe it's just like a low piano in the background or, you know, just one string on a violin and it's Mm -hmm. just eerie. When you take it away or if you change the music to bright and cheerful, it
6: makes everything seem so ridiculous. It changes the scene altogether. I'll tell you, and this is a very quick story here. We'll get back to the draft. But Hitchcock's Psycho. okay, one of the all time classic movies when they originally screened the movie. The thing that was missing was the eh, 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 which made the movie. They added that, and it changed everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah, with that movie. I mean, you know, you had the shower scene and everything else, the classic scenes from Psycho. But until they put that element into that, yeah, that changed everything about that movie. Well, and what's so and that amazing. was the genius of Hitchcock. He knew what am I missing here. And that's what they added, and it changed everything. You think when you hear that noise, you think you don't
7: think about the the musicians playing right. a cello or whatever instrument that's that's being emanated from. You literally think about the shower scene in exactly. that movie. Exactly, like, like it, you,
0: every you you it just it it, it transforms the scene altogether. So th- those are the elements in sound. Uh, yes, sir. Also, a great score can make a movie even scarier. Like in The Shining, the opening uh, really well, eerie. Well, how about The Exorcist with Exorcist the tubular well. bells? Yep. Oh, dun, dude! Dun, 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 it adds an dun, eeriness dun, to it, a creepiness dun, dun, to it. Oh man, yeah, it I really I, can. I'm getting
6: goosebumps Ooh. just thinking about it. Anyway, so uh, I can't wait. I, I always love the Academy Awards. It's an interesting year, of course, because no one saw any of these movies, right? No, yeah, yeah. I mean we we didn't go to the movies. And- I
7: saw one of these movies. I think up for the overall category, uh, Tenet. That's the only one.
6: Tenet's only up for some visual effects. Oh, is that stuff. it? Yeah, I yeah, thought that, that was in it.
7: the best. No, 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 no wow. No,
6: no, no. <laughs> so, so you really will see nothing. That tonight is a if you're goose egg.
7: Watching. I and 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 this is also an admission. Until you mention it, I wasn't completely sure when the Oscars were. I just I know. knew they were coming They're soon. They're yeah. tonight. All right. So <laughs> I get that.
6: Uh, by the way, we had Lucky Lashua on the morning show. Oh, of course. Friday. yeah it's our insider. You know, and by the way, there's so many different gambling outlets where you can bet on who's going to win the Oscars. So anyway, my insider was on the show on Friday. All right. I want to get back to the draft and I want to go to something that's going to shock you, I'm sure. So Jeff Schwartz yesterday and and Jeff's breaking down the draft and everything else. So we're we're running through the top 12 picks in the draft when we get to the 49ers and number three. And I was giving it the dramatic, you know, I I set it up and I say, with the third pick in the 2021 NFL draft, the San Francisco 49ers select, and he jumps in, he goes, Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. So I'm like, all right, so you think they're gonna not take Mac Jones? So let me quickly run through how this all went for him, right? So the Falcons at four, they keep the pick, and they take Kyle Pitts. So instead of thinking about quarterback of the future, and when you look at Atlanta at four, they're really in a situation like the Chargers were a couple of years ago when they passed on the opportunity. A lot of people thought they were going to take Deshaun Watson, seventh overall. We weren't talking about Mahomes at that point. Uh, and instead, they took Mike Williams, the wide receiver out of Clemson. At number seven, I think. At number seven overall. And the idea was there's still life left in the tank with Phillip Rivers. Let's give him another weapon. And that's exactly what the Falcons are looking at at number four. Is there life left in the tank? Has Matt Ryan got a possible Super Bowl run in him? And if he does, adding a piece like Kyle Pitts, and you can go way back to their Tony Gonzalez days in the Falcons. Obviously, if you got a. To uh, go with Julio Jones and the wide receiver sure. talent they have? I mean, wow. But the question gets back to, do you pass on a quarterback of the future if you're Atlanta thinking that you still have several years left with Matt
7: Ryan? Well, my thought process is they're either going to pick a quarterback or they're going to trade out of the spot. Now, could they take Kyle Pitts? He's a transformative player by most people's merits. Yeah, sure, they could. But I think this is because – It's such a deep wide receiver draft. You could trade out of that position, still get a really great wide receiver. And there could be a team, not three picks behind you, four picks behind you, just a few back who will pay handsomely to get to number four to throw their hat in the quarterback ring. So I think they're going to be shopping around, especially if their plan is going to be keeping Ryan for this upcoming season. All right.
6: I, I coming up, I, I gotta run down some of these picks because where he went and, and where you are, because I think you're definitely on different pages oh, here yeah. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. how this plays out at the top of the draft. So, all right, so he had again Justin Fields three to the 49ers. Could you see that as a possibility instead of Mac Jones? I could see absolutely the
7: 49ers shocking everyone. I could there's a little bit of that in me with the Jets, too. You know, now I think it's going to go lawrence wilson but there's a possibility where you may have wilson available at three and does that make it a harder decision for the 49ers then if if they're really not thinking mac jones and they really are thinking fields is is a wilson better than a
6: fields in their eyes is he higher on their board by the way speaking of kyle pitts at four and there's and most people will tell you Based on their dominance at their position, he's the dominant player oh, in this yeah. draft. I mean, they they this is a this is a once in a generation type of tight end talent with his size, his speed, his hands. He didn't drop a single pass this year, dude, he at is. Florida. So he is a he is a matchup nightmare. But you know who's absolutely enamored with him, and that's Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. But they're sitting at ten. There's no way Cowboys is going to last till then. So this again always gets back to who you want and where you think you have to be in order to guarantee to get that talent. All right, on the other side, so we got, I'm going to go down with the Bengals, the Dolphins, and maybe a team other than the Lions coming up next. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge.
8: If you dare.
6: Steve Irwin, Rich Ornberger. All right, we're talking plenty about the 2021 NFL Draft, which gets underway on Thursday. And, again, Fox Sports Radio will be all over it starting on Thursday with the first round. So yesterday, Jeff Schwartz, who is going to be part of our coverage on the draft here on Fox Sports Radio, was breaking down the draft. All right, so I just mentioned the first four picks he had. He went through the first 12 here. So he has the Jags taking Trevor Lawrence. He has the Jets taking Zach Wilson. He says the 49ers We'll take Justin Fields, and the Falcons will go with Kyle Pitts. Now, the next two picks were interesting, the Bengals and the Dolphins, because at this point, you're thinking, all right, there might be some trade activity. But in both cases, he says they will keep these picks, and they both have young quarterbacks who were drafted a year ago. Yep. And in both cases, he says they're going to be reunited with their college teammates. The Bengals keep the fifth pick, and they take Chase, And the Dolphins keep their pick, and they take Waddle. Jalen Waddle. So, in other words, he's got Joe Burrow reunited with Jamar Chase, and he's got Tua Tunga-Vailoa reunited with Jalen Waddle. Do you think that's a possibility?
7: Well, it is a possibility, but it's also a strong possibility that they want to bring in one of these offensive tackles, like a Rashawn Slater or a Penni Sewell from Oregon who will – you know, maybe not automatically be an impact player on the roster, but will certainly uh, be a starter day one and be on their way to a long career of protecting these young quarterbacks they'll be tied to. You know, there, there, there is something to be said about having this much talent at the receiver position, having this much talent at the quarterback position and being so fortunate that you already got one of those spots locked up with a Joe Burrow or a tua in the in the case of Miami but it's also we know how this is the chiefs just leveraged their entire draft basically this year and not their entire draft but this year and next year's draft will have significant impact because they bring in Orlando Brown Jr to protect to protect my homes.
6: That's a whole nother story we're going to get to in the next hour, by the way. Yeah. The so, whole Orlando Brown thing is is the whole story in its own. All right. So he decided to go with those two. Yeah. All right. So he's, he's deciding you have a rare opportunity for two teams that have made a commitment to young quarterbacks to reunite him with receivers they know from their college days. So now he gets to Detroit at seven. Yep. Yep. And this is where he has the trade. And the team trading up to number seven, the Chargers. This is to take Sewell, the offensive tackle, at seven. So, and they will have to give up a number one pick next year to move up from 13 to seven to get that pick away from Detroit. Now, you got Justin Herbert. There's no question he is a quarterback that has a very bright future as long as you can keep him upright. And that offensive line of the Chargers needs a lot of help. Yeah. So two questions here. First of all, Sewell. Uh, and and Jeff, of course, is an Oregon guy, so he's a little partial, obviously, <laughs> to Sewell, that he is that rare talent. But remember this about Sewell. He's 20 years old. Yeah, he's In young. fact, he will still be 20 years old when the season starts. So he's a very young offensive lineman. But if you're the Chargers and you have a franchise quarterback, obviously, in Herbert right now, Moving up in the draft, trading a future number 1 for a guy like Sewell. Does that make sense?
7: Yeah, it does. Again, once you think you have your quarterback, you need to start either building component parts around the offense, whether it be in the backfield or out on the edges with receivers, or building the offensive line. You got to do one or the other. And so with a high draft pick in the case of, finding your quarterback of the future. I I look again, I think the Niners did it the right way. I think that the Chiefs did it the right way. They those are two teams that had strong uh offensive lines and then welcomed in a quarterback prior, right? You know, I I think that's what you need to do. This is almost like Andrew Luck to the Colts, and then they built the offensive line after. That's what the Chargers are doing with Herbert. So if they're going to move, I think they move for a tackle. And also Tom Telesco, their general manager, has whiffed in the draft on offensive linemen. He has not had a big hit Awful. record. So he needs to get this right.
6: He does. And so that's how he won with Detroit. Now what's interesting was the next pick at Carolina, because I'm still thinking, wait a second, you still have Trey Lance and you still have Mac Jones on the board. Isn't somebody moving up here to get one of these two quarterbacks and especially since Denver is City at 9, and we know they're thinking quarterback, Carolina's got to be entertaining offers. And he goes, nope. Carolina's going to take Slater. He's going to take the other big offensive line. And by the way, Slater's interesting because he does have some critics. He's under five. And his reach about 33. Yeah. You know, but this was the knock on Worfs a year ago, and he turned out to be a good player. Talented guy. You know, so he fell because of some of the metrics that, you know, usually you don't have those long arms, you want guy 6'7", and he wasn't. But either you can play that or not. Is that what we're talking about with Slater? Is he that, uh, the get out of Northwestern?
7: Yeah, I mean, look, I saw it sometimes against the faster speed rush guys. He can struggle, especially if you beat his punch, but it's difficult to beat a guy like that he's really really athletic and he's super powerful especially in the run game and that's something i think this offense is going to be predicated on with matt rule sam darnold in carolina
6: all right so on the other side we're going to get uh, much more into the orlando brown situation with the chiefs and if mac jones going to be dropping out of where everyone thinks he is in the draft we'll have more coming up next Yes, rolling along here as we continue our countdown for Thursday's NFL Draft. It's always exciting and a little bit of a mystery this year without the Combine. So normally, just from a, a viewer's standpoint, you've, you've seen the Combine and you're sort of getting ready for the draft. We did not have that. So you were not privy to these pro days. No. So you really are sort of blind going into this draft of exactly what's out there. As opposed to years past.
7: Well, and what we're going to see in this year's draft, like we saw in last year's draft, is a lot more big school players getting drafted in the higher rounds. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there aren't going to be any of these like, you know, outside of a Trey Lance and and maybe there'll be another player to sneak in the first two rounds from like an FCS school. But it's going to be few and far between. You're going to see, again, home run shots taken by these organizations because There was so limited access to going to the games and viewing these players in person or going and doing sit down interviews or doing your advanced medical checkups, inviting a lot of these athletes to your facilities. Because not only was it difficult to do that with the restrictions state to state, but also the players themselves. They had the ultimate out I'm not going to make myself available to 15 teams who want to see me pre-draft. I don't want to expose myself to that many people potentially catch COVID. You know, so these guys, you know, huddled up wherever they're working out, whether it be at their school or a training facility. And it's just going to be – you're going to have to truly do your homework on these players – on the in the film room and so as a result of that i think we are going to see the clemsons and the ohio states and the alabamas be the most heavily drafted school here
6: all right so yesterday jeff schwartz former nfl offensive line today rich orenberger former nfl offensive (laughs) line so we're comparing and so we went again 12 deep here so the way he had he goes quarterback 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 receiver 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 Offensive line, offensive line. So, that's how he had the first eight picks in the draft. Suddenly, he has Denver at number nine. And I can only imagine if John Elway is sitting at number nine, knowing that their stock on Drew Locke has plummeted from where it was two years ago to what happened a year ago, the fact that he could be sitting there with an actual choice at quarterback would be beyond John Elway's wildest dreams. But... You really have two very different quarterbacks sitting there if you go with the Jeff Schwartz draft board, and that's Trey Lance and Mac Jones. So if you were – now, Jeff said they're going to take Trey Lance. And, again, if Denver goes Trey Lance, you're going to have to really adjust your offense. If you're going to make an offense to fit the skill set of Trey Lance – And just how good is he? I mean, throwing the football. He showed accuracy. Obviously, he had the ridiculous numbers of 28 touchdowns, no picks. You know, in his one full season as a starting quarterback, he also ran for 1,100 yards. I mean, we're talking about a a kid that has massive potential. But you really have to put together an offense as opposed to a Mac Jones, who is a more classic pro-style offense guy. And you've got John Elway making the call. Well, Well, listen. Yeah.
7: I don't think they go with either. Wow. I think if they're staring at a quarterback at nine overall, I think they, they stick to the draft plan, which is we need to improve the heart of our defense or we need to improve our offensive line. So if Slater or Sewell or one of these other, Eichenberg is another guy who's really high up on a lot of boards as far as offensive tackles, the kid out of uh, Brigham Young. Uh, if, if some of these highly touted tackles are still available, they may go there. Here's one that I you think mean? There's sti-
6: you still think they they're rolling the dice on Drew Lock?
7: I they got him working with Peyton Manning this, this I know off-season. they do. I you know. know. They, I think there's so, enough believers in that building that they could skip. Wow. Even if you have Mac Jones or Trey Lance or or Fields available at nine, I think they go OT if 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 uh, a player who's high on their board is available or Micah Parsons out of uh, mm. Penn State. Are you nervous about Parsons and that hazing uh, story? No, look, the The unfortunate reality is that hazing is happening in every locker room. But across that was the pretty country. extreme. Yeah, it's not comfortable to even talk about. I mean, yeah. some of that stuff is wild. Uh, and and obviously accusations, nothing is absolutely confirmed. But it's those are pretty severe accusations. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. I mean, looking back on anybody's time in college, you know, I, I don't I don't I don't know if I'm gonna hold it against him and not take the talent at nine overall if I'm John Elway. You know, I'm sure if they're even considering him, they've done their homework on him. Uh but Micah Parsons is one of those sideline to sideline oh, yeah, athletes at the position. He's great against the run. He's really talented covering backs and tight ends and receivers out of the slot. He can carry routes. He's one of those more hybrid linebackers that's becoming more
6: important in today's uh, defense. All right. So if Denver were not to take a quarterback, so now you let's go, let's let's take his order yeah. and then we'll yeah. throw him what you yeah, just said. Yeah, go said. ahead. So now you're the Cowboys at 10. Now they're not looking for a quarterback, no. obviously. Most people think they're going to take certain. The, the uh, the corner out of Alabama. That is, everyone seems to predict, by the way, he'd be reunited with his former Alabama teammate, you know, on yeah, the Yeah, that's side. absolutely right. Yeah. So, um, and and let's face it, the Cowboys need defense. Yeah. I mean, you, you can talk offense all you want. Their they, defense is beyond bad. They, they've they had a gaping hole at safety for close to 10 years. Yeah. They need
7: to figure that out. Uh, they have an issue at corner. They have an issue at edge rusher. Now they've gotten more out of that position lately, but not enough. Uh, their linebackers are pretty set uh if you like Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith but this is this is a defense that that needs help help and a lot of help if the cowboys went 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 their full draft and didn't take a single offensive player they'd probably do, be doing themselves a favor to be perfectly honest with you because the defensive side of the ball outside of the offensive line the defense side of the ball needs a complete facelift
6: you know you have the cowboys giants eagles 10 11 12 the three teams out of the worst division in football history <laughs> yeah. last year in it the NFC East historically bad so he had certain going to the cowboys he had the giants taking devonte smith Okay, Figuring that Daniel Jones needs a receiver to stretch the field. Yeah, And and then he had the Eagles taking um, J.C. Horn, the other corner out of South Carolina. So at this point, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, Mac Jones just went from the third overall pick to still on the board? And this brings suddenly into the conversation the Patriots at 15, the Washington football team at 19, the Bears at 20. All three of those teams obviously looking for the quarterback of the future. Let me tell you, in
7: this draft, or I should say, among the teams who potentially could be looking for a quarterback in this draft, mm-hmm. Mac Jones and the Patriots feels like the easiest fit. It makes so much sense. I mean, think about what Tom Brady was to that organization for all the years he was there. Now, People forget, but early on, he was a system quarterback. He was a guy who was running a system and doing a very good job, but he was managing a system. And then as he graduated and matured, he became an impactful offensive mind around that building. I got in 10 years into his career, and I watched it. I mean, it was a true collaboration between what he was seeing, what he believed would work, and what the coaching staff viewed the talent around him was capable of. It was a beautiful working relationship that lasted as long as it did until it didn't anymore. They're looking for the next one. And if they don't get it right and they don't get it right soon, it's going to be – there could be some dark days ahead because that division around them is improving. The Dolphins are improving. The Bills are obviously at the top of the heap. It's going to get difficult for the Patriots if they don't find the next quarterback.
6: All right, so let's get back to the 49ers at three. And let's say they don't take Mac Jones, they take Justin Fields. So suddenly let's let's assume for a second that New England is very high on Mac Jones. Sure. Now by, the way, now by the way,
7: Nick Saban, Bill Belichick worked together with the Browns
6: long-term friendship, you know. Okay. So now the question is because they're not going to get up to 3. They have to stay wait for the 49ers. But the 49ers go with let's say Fields or Lance sure. instead of Mac Jones. Now you're sitting at 15 but you got a lot of capital to work with here. As usual. So if you were to New England and you're like, we have a chance to get Mac Jones, where do we go? You're looking at the board ahead of you. You're 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 hoping that he drops to 15? Not likely. So then you have to start taking a look. All right, who might be after? And this is why we get back to these draft boards where you it's not just who you take, but where you take him in the draft. And this is the guessing game. Like, all right, who do we have to worry about that might be trying to move up? To get Mac Jones. Who else do you think has the same interest in Mac Jones that we have? So, if the 49ers go Justin Fields, yeah, and you're in that draft room with Belichick and company, and you're saying, all right, we have a shot at Mac Jones. Where are we targeting to move up in the draft to guarantee that we're going to get Mac Jones if we believe we need to get Mac Jones? Which team are you looking at to move up to make a trade with? I mean – or are you just holding out hope that somehow he's still he's still on the board at fifteen? Look, I I would get
7: on the phone with coaches who have some leash, like Matt Rules, only in his second year. Uh, right, uh, uh, Dan Dan the man. What's what's his last name? The the new Lions head coach. <laughs> I, I know. Man. Uh, he's he's uh, he he's got a six year contract. Dan Campbell, yeah, thank you. He's man, a loose camp. man. Campbell. Yeah. Uh, he's there at number seven. I I. I could see potentially coaches who have a lot of leash, a lot of time to get it right, uh, could could be looking to make the trade with New England. Now, again, they're general managers – have to be in collabor- collaboration with them. But, yeah, but you're gonna Detroit, if you move
6: up from fifteen to seven, you're gonna have to give up a future one. You I, know you, that.
7: You, but here's the thing. I I don't necessarily see that being the case with New England. I don't I don't even necessarily think they pick at fifteen. I think it's possible that New England trades down in this draft. Okay. It's very typical. Well that's my point. Yeah in other but words, I if mean if you so- have a player like Mac Jones is falling and falling and falling and falling. The value you get mm-hmm. Mac Jones at 15. It'll it'll be like it always is with New England. Where, you know, early this season when Cam Newton or this past season, when Cam Newton was actually having what looked like a renaissance in New England, people were like, Of course. They waited a hundred days after he was a free agent, they sign him for vet minimum, and he's going to run the NFL this year. It didn't work out that way, but you you know you're gonna hear the same thing. At 15, if somehow Jones is there for the Patriots, everybody's
6: gonna be like, It feels like they're stealing. All right, but it's interesting, this whole dynamic of Trey Lance and Mac Jones. I mean, Justin Fields is a spotlight quarterback at a high institution, even though Ohio State quarterbacks have struggled at the next level. But it will be interesting to see if the 49ers were to opt out for Justin Fields at number three overall. Very different quarterbacks, obviously, Trey Lance and Mac Jones. Is it possible, with all the hype we've been talking about, you know, five quarterbacks in the first nine picks at the very least, that suddenly they start dropping. And people are looking at Lance as like an unknown project. Oh, yeah. And Mac Jones, was he just the fact that he was the beneficiary of this insane amount of talent around him? Of course, you could say the same thing about Joe Burrow at LSU. I mean, the previous year. I mean, was it Joe Burrow? or the fact that he was surrounded by this supreme talent at all the skill positions, that's the question of Mac Jones. All right, on the other side, we'll get more into that, but we also need to get into this big trade between the Ravens and the Chiefs. So why would the Baltimore Ravens, who have to get through the Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl, trade them what they needed, a Pro Bowl offensive tackle? Why would they do that?
4: We're going to tell you coming up next.
8: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Wow. I was Sam. I feel like we're back on the farm with you. How
0: that? Bag of,
7: chew the bag of, chew the bag of speed.
0: This guy, this guy is dating Gwen Stefani. Let that sink in. That yeah. is true. That this is, is Mr. True. Blake
6: Shelton? Yeah, they, they don't seem like a, a, a natural match, do they? But sometimes also, also attractive. I don't know what it is about Blake Shelton.
7: That doesn't look like a guy who's ever like heaved a bale of hay before. My, no, you know, you're no. like, you know, that, he doesn't seem like the type of guy who's yeah. got calluses no. or wears
6: flannel yeah. outside of like photo shoots. I don't know. I don't I don't, I don't know. You know. even when I see them together and I know they've been together now for a while, I just good for him though, right? Good well, I mean, she's she's not only, you know, hot, but she's 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 a talent. I Absolutely. Big time talent. Yeah,
0: I was thinking uh, country music is
6: underserved on these FSR airwaves, so I yeah. thought I bring in a little bit. little good I, don't mind, I don't mind. I don't mind a little mix in there. Uh we are talking about the NFL draft. Uh but there, there was a big story this week and there's there's really two questions I have for you, Rich. Uh, so Orlando Brown goes from the Ravens to the Chiefs. And the first question I have is, to me, the obvious question. Because if you look at the AFC right now, the top two teams in the AFC seemingly are the Chiefs and the Ravens. So why? Knowing that the Chiefs had to get two new offensive tackles. They had already one in place. Now they needed a second one. Why would you literally trade a Pro Bowl offensive lineman to the team that you're trying to overtake as the team to beat in the AFC, the Chiefs? Why Why would the Ravens make this deal with the Chiefs? I mean, I can see you make a deal with somebody else. Maybe you don't want to pay Orlando Brown the big money down yeah. the road. But why in the world would you make the trade to the team that needed him the most and the team you're trying to overtake to get to the Super Bowl?
7: I could see the Ravens just looking to almost do like a like a swap out like like they trade a proven commodity to the Chiefs in order to get cheaper at that position. So Orlando Brown goes, but they can still probably get a high value offensive tackle at their draft position now. Well, hold on a second.
6: So, you but you would agree at least in the moment of the trade you've weakened your team. Yes, no question. And you have strengthened them. No question. So you made the Chiefs stronger and you've made yourself weaker. Yeah. Knowing that that's the team. It's not like the Ravens are in a rebuild. They're in the moment right now yeah. to try to get to the Super Bowl.
7: You're also in a spot where you have to understand your offense and how it works. You you're in you have a quarterback specifically who uh you can get away with a lot more than you can with Patrick Mahomes uh, all right so, so so if you have a weaker offensive line with Patrick Mahomes who Don't get me wrong, he's a great athlete, but you would prefer him operate the the offense from the pocket. And we saw where this falls down against the Tampa Bay defense. Did a tremendous job in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. The rush was on. The offensive line was all out of sorts for the Chiefs. They had three different players playing three different positions than they're used to, and one off the bench. And so it looked bad. So they get stronger, yes. But you're making an investment into your future to keep salary cap low, to have money to spend on some help for Lamar Jackson, some help for that defense. And on top of it, Lamar Jackson, the way he runs an offense, or the way you have to run an offense through Lamar Jackson, is more with the RPO game. It's a lot easier on the offensive line.
6: Exactly. All right, so this brings up a whole lot of different questions. I know that when we were going into the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay and – Your two offensive tackles are out. I remember our buddy Nick Hardwick, the former Charger center, said no team is less dependent on an offensive line than the Chiefs because of the skill set of Mahomes. But what did we see? We saw Mahomes running for his life in that Super Bowl against Tampa, and so the impact of the offensive line was much greater than a lot of people thought it was going to be, at least against a team that has a great defensive front like Tampa Bay. So let's get back to Orlando Brown. There's a big difference. He's been playing right offensive tackle with the Ravens. With a run-oriented team, he's going to be playing left tackle with the Chiefs. And let's put it this way. The price tag on a big-time left offensive tackle is much bigger than a right offensive tackle. So, Orlando Brown's coming up on contract time. So, this is really his opportunity to prove to everybody that he can be an elite left tackle pass blocking for Patrick Mahomes. Not just mowing down people, run blocking, like he did at Oklahoma and everything else, and he's done with the Ravens. His Pro Bowl status was based on his ability to just knock people over for that running game with the Ravens. The question I have to you, Rich, does he have the skill set to be a left tackle in a more pass-oriented offense? And maybe the Chiefs are going to go more with the run, but let's... You've you got Patrick Mahomes. He's going to throw a lot of passes out there. Is he the right offensive tackle to play the left tackle position for a pass-oriented offense led by Patrick Mahomes? Well, I mean... Because Brown, if he's not, they're going to move on from him. Brown
7: got the opportunity with Ronnie Staley being injured to play the left tackle position. And exactly. this is where he always wanted to play, obviously. You know, walking in his father's footsteps, and and wanted to always his father always wanting to be in that left tackle position, but Jonathan Ogden occupied that position. Yes, there was no moving him. (laughs) No, literally no moving him. (laughs) So you have a similar situation and a great opportunity, but maybe no room for him for both. You know, it's sort of like, you know, there you, there's not enough room in this town for the two of us. So, who's going to flinch? And the Ravens flinch. They said, "Yeah, we have two left tackles now, so we have draft capital. Uh we, we can we can bring in uh another pick in the first round." And like I said, since it's such a deep draft at offensive tackle and you would be replacing your not not your left tackle, but your right by moving on from Orlando Brown, you're bringing in a player who you could bring up to speed, who's going to be running in more of this zone-read offense, RPO-style offense with Lamar Jackson, and then you have an additional first-round pick this year from the Chiefs. It, 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 to me, Brown, there's no question Brown's a winner here because he goes to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are a winner here because
6: now they get a, a
7: protector
6: for Mahomes, and clearly that Will was he be the protector that everyone thinks? Again, you all you see is Pro Bowl offensive tackle. But that's not exactly what we have here. We have Lomas Brown, who achieved Pro Bowl status, you know, as a run blocking tackle. Yeah. I mean, and, and devastating, obviously. Two years ago, they had more rushing yards than any team in the history of the NFL. That's a very different role from what he's going to be filling in with Kansas City. Yeah, I, and they're hoping that he can fill that role. I think it's going to work out because also
7: the Chiefs have done a really nice job outside of the Super Bowl of managing their their offensive line talent and doing a great job with pass protection schemes and keeping Mahomes upright. You know, not all of that is just the talent of the offensive line, it's also the talent of the offensive line coach and the offensive coordinator. Andy Reid and Eric bieniemy They've done a nice job over there. So I think he's going to continue his success. Mahomes is a big winner. Lamar Jackson's a big winner. Because Lamar Jackson really didn't lose much up front. And again, the Baltimore Ravens, because Ronnie Staley's back from injury, the Baltimore Ravens have an extra first-round pick, which means that they can improve the offensive line. They can add a weapon. They can improve their defense even, which will keep – the offense on the field longer. So this really was a win, in my opinion. It was a win from every direction you look at it. We'll see how it all plays out. Obviously, in concept, these look like wins for everybody, but the what-ifs are hanging somewhere in the atmosphere.
6: All right, a lot of changes going around the NFL we're going to get to on the other side. But first, let's find out what's trending as we welcome back Mr. David Gaskin. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
5: What what's do you got happened? going on? oh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I got a uh, a nice little four-game series here in Los Angeles between the Padres and the Dodgers. Yes, yes. Dodgers have not lost a series in 16 straight. Hmm. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. has had himself quite a series so far. Yeah, he's the, woken up. Yeah, for those that don't know, he was coming into the series batting under 200, and he's got uh, four home runs the last two days.
6: I, I heard that he, he became the first player in the history, history. of the major leagues. Yes. To a back-to-back multiple home run games against former Cy Young Award winners. That's the first ever, yeah. First First ever ever to do
5: that. Now, you bring that up as I bring up Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, Social media is a fantastic place at times.
8: Mm -hmm. Uh,
5: Other times it's a cesspool of just crap. Right. (laughs) Um, a, A certain fan of a team posted a video on Twitter uh, about 11 hours ago, with Tatis in his second at bat against Trevor Bauer. Now, for those that did not know or watch the game, Tatis Jr. hit a ball that was outside and off the plate and he pulled it. He got around on it and it was a full count and he pulled it to left center field for a home run. Um, guys, the video replay of this shows that Tatis, while he was in his stance, looked down. And potentially look back at catcher Will Smith, who mm. was giving the signs. So I bring that up because of this. Bauer saw it and then tweeted out, if you need to know what pitch is coming that badly, just ask Daddy nicely next time. And he he tagged for now Tatis Jr. in it. And he says, You know I <laughs> I ain't scared, homie. Oh well, I I am saving this because I what happened there
6: with Tatis' first home run when he did the uh Mocking a Bauer closing his eyes, yeah, yeah, that yeah. whole scenario out there. Yeah, look, this is all good for Major League Baseball. Baseball needs this desperately, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to have this kind of back and forth between two teams is just dynamic. And Bauer plays into it, I mean, he's yeah. he's the perfect guy to get involved in this because he loves this kind of stuff, right? He, he's
7: like the Jake Paul of Major League Baseball. Man, no way, he doesn't care who hates him, no, he leans into it, and I and truly. It it can be nauseating to people who don't like the Dodgers or who don't like Trevor Bauer. But for people who are just entertained by storylines, Bauer creates storylines. Oh, yeah. He
6: leans into controversy. He almost got killed by that Hosmer Hosmer line line drive.
7: drive. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he
6: just laid on his back. (laughs) He didn't even move. I mean, you know, the ball went into for a base hit. He's laying on his back out there. No, I mean, this... This is a series, a rivalry that has so much personality. It's yeah. great. Desperately, baseball it's needs this. It's great. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah.
5: Uh, it's only a difference in 101 miles, just given the proximity between these two clubs. Obviously, yeah. the same division. Steve, I know it's a regional thing, but this gives me a feel of the Kings and Blackhawks in 2013 mm. and 2014. Oh, oh, and that's how tight those two teams were. Yeah. And obviously, these 19 games with this, it's. Uh, <laughs> They won't play for a while, but uh, obviously game four is tonight. And uh, we'll see if there's any more drama involved. Well, in I one.
6: mean, they had a lot of hype going into the season. We said, hey, this this could potentially be the new hot rivalry in baseball and six games in. No one's disappointed.
5: I, I think the best part about this, and I hate saying this because I'm a traditionalist in Major League Baseball, but the fact that they're not playing with the DH mm-hmm. and San Diego and L.A.'s ERAs as a staff are one and two. Right. So they're on point. They're pitching. They're pitching. And they are timely hitting, and then of course you got the the young players that are at each other. I, I, it's it's everything that you want. It is everything that you want. And
6: of course tonight's game will be the national game. Yeah. So see Musgrove out there versus May. It's you should just, be good.
5: You should just be like the NFL, right? Flex out all of these games, dude. I, I I
7: really don't I don't know why you would you wouldn't have this on national television every time these two teams play
6: well it was the feature game for the mlb network on friday night yeah and again it's the uh the national game Sunday tonight, so, yeah. Yeah. but for quite a
5: while we were drunk on red Sox yankees yeah you know, <laughs> during uh, those runs and i get oh, yeah. that but no
6: and they were great yeah yeah but, but this is this is the in the moment rivalry yeah. right now no Matt. question absolutely
5: uh yankees right now speaking of them they lead at cleveland three 3-1's account there boston five seattle one Blue Jays and Rays in a tight one. There's no score just yet. This is in the top of the fifth inning. And then in the NBA, one game that's going on right now, Charlotte 70, Boston 59. Kevin Durant expected to play today for the Brooklyn Nets. They take on the Phoenix Suns in about 60 minutes from now. Guys, back to you. All
6: right, and by the way, speaking of baseball, John Palmarosi, our, our MLB network uh, and Fox Sports Radio, MLB Insider will join us coming up in the next hour. we we'll talk about uh, a series that he's excited about. We've talked to JP many times about this uh, brewing rivalry between the Dodgers and the Padres, I'm going to get back a couple stories out of the NFL, which I haven't even had a chance to talk to you about one. Of, one of them is the uniform number situation where Tom Brady is outraged because suddenly he's like, "Wait a second, here you're telling me that a linebacker could essentially have the same uniform number as a safety or a corner." Yep. And understand this: as I'm going back to pass and I'm looking down the field and suddenly I have to quickly decipher, is that a safety or is that a linebacker that I'm looking at with the uniform numbers? Uh, LeVar Arrington, of course, who we see every day, when LeVar was at Penn State, he wore number 11. Yeah. And he cursed the day that, obviously, he was not aware allowed to wear that number as a linebacker in the NFL. He will insist to this day. And I even spoke to him yesterday about this. Had I would have been able to wear that number, I would have been an even better player in the NFL. <laughs> so to him, at least, yeah. it was a mindset about a number mattered to him. Yeah, And it was taken away from him. So what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, a, why was this done? And B, what impact, if any, will it have?
7: Well, I laugh because I was never that type of player. I wore a different number every level i played every team i played with it Mm. it just was never important to me you know i was 78 in high school 64 at penn state 60 then 62 with the patriots 72 with the cardinals 74 with the chargers right it didn't matter it didn't matter to me
6: i I, ugly number pretty number none of that mattered what was the best looking number on you you thought because you see yourself in pictures you're like oh yeah that's sort of i guess
7: my favorite number ended up being 64 64
6: that's yeah. a that's a guard number yeah yeah it that's just, a it,
7: guard it, it re- number. like and, and really when i look at it yeah. i'm like yeah i kind of look like a 64 see i always <laughs> looked at it this way
6: i would look at centers in the 50s yeah. guards in the 60s tackles, tackles in the, in the 70s. 70s i
7: played tackle in high school so yeah. 78 made yeah. sense at the time but yeah f- certain guys attach an identity to a number Mm -hmm. like they have it in their Twitter profile. Mm -hmm. They have it in their Instagram profile. They, they get it tattooed on their body. It becomes who they are to a certain extent. They build an identity around it. I mean, when you get to the professional level, certainly this is the case. You know, you have guys on rosters who will uh, give up their numbers and sometimes be paid handsomely to give uh, their, their number Uh, to an incoming star who will not, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. goes from the Giants to the Browns. He's still 13. Somebody got a paycheck. It's just the way this works. So I totally understand what LeVar is saying. Now, Tom Brady, his argument, his argument is well-founded as far as offensive scheming goes. Because when you are on the line of scrimmage and you are getting ready for the snap of the football, and you're staring at the defense, a lot changes really quickly. Guys right. guys drop off the line of scrimmage. Guys run down into the box. You have a lot happening. And if it's timed appropriately, it's meant to confuse you. And so what Tom Brady is saying is, yeah, look, why have numbers at all? Why not just do blank jerseys if we're going to have anybody wear whatever numbers they want? Because essentially the numbers were to keep – track of who was supposed to be at what level of the defense who was supposed to be on the line of scrimmage on the offense but now that's all changed it's all becoming bastardized to make the sport more attractive uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I I hear both complaints, and I understand both complaints.
6: The interesting thing, obviously, in the college ranks, there are no rules when it comes to numbers. Right. I mean, I, I, my favorite team, as far as numbers was concerned, was the 2012 Notre Dame team with Manti Teo. Yeah. So the year that Manti Teo was runner-up for the Heisman, he wore number five. Fifth, uh, f- oh, it was five. That's five. right. He was number five. Yeah. So you have your star linebacker was number five. Golston, their quarterback, wore number five. So on the same team, yeah. your quarterback and your star linebacker wore the same number the whole season.
7: Yeah, so and the I quarterback wore say, number
6: five, and your linebacker wore number
7: five. And I'm pretty sure, like the defensive line, they had a talented defensive lineman
6: wear number one, right? Uh, it might have been Knicks. Oh, there's no rhyme or yeah. reason to numbers on the college ranks. You could pretty much wear whatever number you want. They decided to go to a more uniform system once you got to the National Football League. Yeah. Uh, by the way, one of the things that was brought up with all this opportunity, first of all, apparently you have to buy out the existing merchandise because uniforms are marketed, obviously. And if you want to change a uniform number before you do it, you got to buy out whatever remaining merchandise you may have on stock before you can make a change at number. It's going to be
7: weird. It's going to be very strange. It's going to be different at first, but then everybody's going to get used to it. Look, the reason why it's not as impactful for offenses at the college level is because defenses, while complex, aren't nearly as complex as they get at the NFL level. So it's a lot easier to keep track of who's who. (laughs) But, I mean, truly, now with sort of amorphic – positionless players in the first place you know you have safeties who are playing like box linebackers and you have linebackers playing like safeties or or slot defenders and you have defensive ends or outside linebackers who play like slot defenders or will be end of the line of scrimmage pass rushers it it, it becomes way way more of a mixed bag at the next level and so yeah, these coordinators offensively, they're going to have to be a lot more careful when they are identifying because we know how a lot of d- offenses set the defense. They'll they'll make a mic point, which mm-hmm. means they're pointing out who the middle linebacker is, right? And they set their offensive principles off of that. But if you you have <laughs> a shifting number of players in and out of the the tackle box. And they're wearing similar numbers. It could get confusing very quickly. By the way,
6: the other thing is uh, all these retired numbers. And suddenly they're coming into play. Oh, yeah. Because you need so many numbers. If you want to expand these rosters, you got to come up with more numbers. Uh, we had a situation with the Cardinals. J.J. J. So Watt. J.D. Watt, number 99, and suddenly finds out that number's retired by yeah. the Cardinals with Marshall Goldberg, who played for the Chicago Cardinals in the 40s. He had to get in touch with, I think, the granddaughter of, of the Go- uh, Marshall Goldberg yep. and, and, and and the Goldberg family said, look, we'd be honored to have you wear our grandfather's number, and he will wear 99, but he had to get clearance from the fan. I just find that interesting. That was the Chicago Cardinals. who became the St. Louis Cardinals. It became the Phoenix Cardinals. It became the Arizona Cardinals, and they retired this guy's number 99 back in the day, Marshall Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, I know you've had your number retired, right? In high school. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah.
7: hanging in the gym. Nobody
6: yeah. has worn seventy-eight. So since if you got a, if you got to reach out Retire from a family saying, you know, our son really wants that number.
7: I don't care. I told my coach when he was doing it. I was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Give it to the next guy." Yeah. I was like, what, "What are we doing?" He was like, "Nope, nope. As long as I'm co- as long as I'm here, nobody's wearing that number." Look again <laughs> to certain players. But retired is retired. If you retire yeah, a number, it should be retired, I mean, right? Isn't that the point? I guess. But again,
6: I, I'm the type of person who thinks all that's really stupid. I know so you do. I'm the wrong person. Well, to I know ask. that. I know, but the Raiders, they've never retired a number. I always forget when when Howie Long retired after yeah. 13 years, they immediately gave his 75 to some, like, second string defensive lineman. Yeah, I'm sure some... Same you know, guy. It was like, you could know... Could be a crummy offensive oh, of there. No, it's not. I, but,
7: dude, I get. I think that's the smarter way to yeah. do it, as opposed to retiring a number. Yeah. You know, build a statue like Nick Foles.
6: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we got a, a little more NFL we got to get to, like, how is this offseason going to look? Is this really going to come down to Nobody showing up for so called voluntary workouts. We're going to tell you coming up next. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. I love this song.
8: Good when jam. I was in, this
6: came out when I was in high school, aging myself as usual. And I went to a high school with one of the cheerleaders. Her name was Ricky. When this came out, I always connect the two. It's like you know, uh, <laughs> don't lose that. We were talking numbers. Don't lose that number. Don't lose that. I never had the number. That was the problem. I wanted to have the number. I didn't have Jersey the number. number. Telephone number. Oh, no, lose the number. Never I was like, how about like, give me the
2: number is what I was thinking <laughs> in those days.
6: All right. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about this offseason for the National Football League. There is a there is a war being waged between the Players Union, uh, DeMora Smith, and the the league itself on what is required of these players in the offseason, the so-called voluntary workouts, which never really been voluntary They've been demanded by coaches that you be there unless you have an absolute excuse for not being there. But now they want to get back to the idea that it is just that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, the NFL is – I heard, again, Troy Vinson talk about, hey, the facilities have never been safer. Players know if they want to work out the facilities, which they always can do. It's a voluntary situation that they're not going to be in a safer environment than they are in these uh, NFL facilities. But where are we going with this? And, again, the question is, how much how much value is there? Even if you have a modified workout regimen. yeah. But just the idea of bringing a team together for weeks or months during the offseason to sort of, you know, bring some cohesiveness, is that overplayed or is that something that still has value? Completely overplayed has close to no value for veteran
7: players. It is it is a farce to believe that a veteran players in the NFL can't get themselves into shape prior to a season starting mm-hmm. without the help of their strength coaches with these teams because no offense to strength coaches in the NFL. They they are they are basically there to monitor a room in the building.
6: But let me ask you this, Rich, because you played offensive line, and offensive line's got to work as a unit, sure. right? you yeah. got to know each other and everything else. You get no good work done in the offseason. Really? So, you, 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 know, like, you know, working together as a unit really has no real value. No, no, no.
7: That has value, but working against players in t-shirts has yeah. zero value. Okay. That has zero value because the game speed is so much different than practice speed in the first place, but then then dial it down to a walkthrough pace, or mm-hmm. potentially having it at a a up tempo pace, as as coaches like to call it. You are all you're doing is availing your offensive line uh, to shoulder injuries by not having shoulder pads to to grasp or to you know practice against and also like again you're you're not getting quality work done because the whole scope of the position changes once pads go on it's just it's it's not look coaches are are fundamentally bored in the offseason. they spend their time watching film on prospects or free agents that there's potentiality of the team to make moves on and not much else. So, so how do you tell it gets but it's lonely and boring for the coaches and they want to waste their players' time.
6: You mentioned the prospects. You got draft picks coming in, a lot of unsigned uh rookies. Obviously, you got some free agents, new guys, new faces. If you don't see them on the field in some capacity, does that make it more difficult to evaluate what you actually have? Oh, there's no
7: question, but you're not getting a great evaluation in in t-shirts and shorts. Okay. Anyways, like you you have no idea what a player is going to look like until you put the pads on. So th- again, this well then you is, go back
6: to the old days this, when he had two days for six
7: weeks, right? Which I don't think is a good idea either. <laughs> there is a there is a happy medium here, you know. And I
6: remember those days.
7: Yeah. So do I. I played. Look, I played during the time where you're still out. I have two day practice after two day practice, yeah, and that was started wasn't the first gone. week of July. And, and it, keep it, keep going. It was it was pretty brutal. Yeah, but these days it's work smarter, not harder, and I'm in favor of it because you have less injuries as a result of it, and less injuries in a part of the season where nobody gets to see these players before they're injured.
6: All right, Major League Baseball has got an opportunity here with the Dodgers and Padres rivalry. How can they take advantage for the rest of baseball? All right, Hartman and Orenberg are with you on this Sunday. Hey, a quick reminder for the very best NFL draft coverage, be sure to tune into Fox Sports Radio all the way throughout the first round of the draft, which is coming up on Thursday. So you can catch the NFL's best information man, Jake Glazer, unmatched, draft analyst, Bucky Brooks. Former number 2 overall pick, your fellow Nittany Lion, LeVar Arrington. And Fox's Kevin Burkhart, as they'll be live throughout that first round, beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. They're going to have all the pick-by-pick predictions and reactions, all 32 first-round picks. So that's Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, Glazer, Brooks, Arrington, Burkhart, right here on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Also, uh, we'll have the streaming Situation that's going to be on multiple outlets. Uh, I know that uh, Jason McIntyre is going to be on it. I know that Jeff Schwartz is going to be there, T.J. Hushman, Zada. They're going to have a cast of thousands. Oh, yeah. Don't yeah, even yeah. be surprised if you hear Rich Ornberger's voice. I mean, yeah, you could never happen. know. You
7: never know. It might pop in for a visit streaming or otherwise. It, yes. It's
6: It's really –
7: look, It it's, it's oddly important. And the reason why I say oddly is because, obviously, wins and losses – in the NFL draft, don't count until we actually see how these players pan out at yes. the professional level.
6: I love when you try to put out a grade on a draft the day of the draft. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm it's, like, that to me is the biggest joke. They had an A draft. I remember uh, in San Diego, the day after they drafted Ryan Leaf, A plus, yeah. all splattered all over A-plus. They moved up. They traded three number ones to move up one slot to get their franchise quarterback, Ryan Leaf. A-plus.
7: Fortunately... And this is true across sports media now. Everybody seems to have a little bit better of a sense of humor about what it, exactly we do, mm-hmm. right? I mean, educated guesses, no doubt. I mean, you're hearing from players or people who have been covering sports for years and years. They've devoted their lives to sports. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they have some insight that that you know, a casual fan or observer or someone who pops in and out interest in a league or a game may not have. But overall, everybody's just guessing. Even you know, the, the best of the best, whoever is your favorite, uh, it doesn't matter. They're all taking an education. Call guest. me in
6: three years. Yes. That's what eventually yes. what we eventually did is that we said, All right, this is we're why, gonna finally grade the draft of three yes. years ago. This is Here's why the a
7: Trubisky gets yes. selected before Deshaun Watson right, or exactly. a Mahomes right. is in the tens or the fifteens as right. opposed to a first overall. Nobody knows. Dak Prescott waits till the fourth round, right. Tom Brady waits till the sixth round, yeah. Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers waits until almost the first round's out. It doesn't matter what you think. It, it, it doesn't matter what your best guess is. What matters is what's inside these players and what system they're drafted to.
6: Yeah, I mean, give it the three-year rule. Brady's a prime example. So, 2,000 draft, he's the 199th pick. I doubt any Boston papers are like a plus. Look, they stole in the sixth round, Tom Brady out of Michigan. <laughs> However, if you do the same. Grading three years later after he's already he got a Super Bowl in his belt, you're like, yeah, that was an A. Yeah, that, geez, was you a know, that, that,
7: that That seemed to work out. We and got pretty good.
6: good value at 199 yeah. So, again, ignore any grading being done on the draft the day of the draft. We'll see how it all plays out because, as we've mentioned so many times before, so much of the success of NFL players – I mean, a lot of it is just their commitment to playing professional football and what's necessary to be effective. But it's also right place, right time, right system, right skill set, whatever. There's so many factors in success on the NFL level. I, I want to get away from the NFL for a moment here because we're wrapping up the seventh matchup already this season between the Dodgers and the Padres. Yep. And this was this was so interesting, the birth of a rivalry that was never a rivalry. Okay, this this was never a rivalry. Well, ever, I, I disagree
7: with that from this one standpoint. I I never I never underrate where there's animosity on one side of a rivalry. How important a rivalry can be. Now I'll make an example. So Padres Dodgers to the Dodgers may not feel like a rivalry, but to Padres fans certainly does. Similarly. Like, you think, okay, who's Michigan's rival in college football? You would say Ohio State. But does that mean that it's not a rivalry when the Wolverines play the Spartans and it's Michigan State-Michigan? Look, there, there, is, there is something to be said about being uh, a team that always wins a rivalry but but still can, in concept, keep the the fire burning. There's no question in my mind.
6: Rivalries cannot be manufactured, okay? Rivalries have to be they have to come from both sides. I, I I've already even even now, I've been hearing, look as someone that has you know, shuffled my time between the l a and San Diego markets, and I've had a very different perspective because I've seen both sides of it. Sure. Los Angeles never has felt a rivalry toward the city of San Diego. Because L.A. loves San Diego. Everyone loves San Diego. You get away to beautiful San Diego. You take in the zoo. You used to be able to see a charge game once. I mean, it's all great if you're an L.A. person. I didn't know until I got into the San Diego market the animosity that San Diego felt to L.A. for whatever reason it might be. But even now, I'm hearing from L.A. people in the midst of what we've been seeing here. It started last year and now it's carried over into this year. Giants are our rivals. Yeah. They're still dismissing it in L.A. Oh, no, I know they're, that. They're, they're just like, no, 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 But no, that no. also
7: fuels the rivalry. Like, here, let me give you an example.
6: But it, but at least to them, they're saying, no, 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 the, the no. Padres the- have never won anything. Call me when you've won, you know, a couple of World Series. I mean, this is the same thing with the Lakers and the Clippers. Even when the Clippers were beating the Lakers constantly over about a seven-year period, Lakers are like they're not a rival. Well, right. never, I'm sorry. Do they have any championship banners here? But, but no ge- rival
7: geographically, and from the standpoint of the Clippers fans, it is a rivalry. So it is a rivalry. I, I I look at it from this standpoint: geography matters, and obviously the fan base's intent matters, and those are the two things that matter the most. I I don't think the players and the managers or in football, the coaches, or any sport, the coaches, really matter all that much. The laundry matters and the fans' interest in the rivalry matters. I'll give you a perfect example. When I was drafted by the Patriots, I had no ill will toward the Jets. I didn't. I grew up in New York. My dad was a Jets fan. Was until I became a Patriot and then he suspended it for three years and then resumed being a Jets fan after I moved on with my career. It, it it's interesting, though, you adopt the rivalry. Now, a lot of people wouldn't think like the Patriots would look at the Jets as a natural rival, but they're in the AFC East. And I actually, even though they had more down years than good years while I was there, I actually viewed them as more of a rival than anybody else in football, including who nationally was built up as our rival, the Indianapolis Colts. Now the the matchup got played out in the regular season in the postseason a couple of times between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady,
6: but the Jets felt more like a rival than them. But again, let's let's put context here. So you're a rookie in 2009, and in 2009 2010, the Jets got to the AFC Championship game both those years, and you had Rex Ryan running his mouth. About the Patriots. Yeah, but
7: even before then, even before then. But this, that was when was, you walked
6: into that sudden
7: rivalry. I'll give you an example. So Sean Ellis, longtime Jets defensive end, ended up signing with the Patriots during during my time there. And I remember asking him, or it was either I asked him or somebody, we were sitting around a table together, asked him about what what like the Jets felt about the Patriots. And he'd been there a long time. He said, we hate the Pats. We I mean with a passion, we hate the Pats. And so the rival I mean we felt everybody it.
6: hates the Pats. Yeah,
7: we felt it like when you played against it was just extra. I felt that way against the Oakland Raiders when I with the with the Chargers. Look, the Denver Broncos were a better football team when I was with the Chargers at the time. It was 2013, 2014 season because Peyton Manning was there. Brock Osweiler was filling in when he couldn't go. Uh and they were a better team in division. Uh, there's no question the Raiders, the Raiders at that time felt like the natural rival and they were awful.
6: Right. They were. But again, going back to when I was with the Raiders in the eighties, when they were good, Everybody consider the Raiders their number one rival, just like the same thing with the Patriots. When you have a team that has that, or the Cowboys, or some team that has that perpetual success Steve, over, like that was every the team 80s. looks at them as that's our rival, no, no, that's no, no. our rival. But that I was remember, the, 80s. None every of the players, we, every time we played the, anybody, it was n- like, wow. None, okay. none of the
7: players remembered the '80s when I was there in 2013. You're but uh, to, no, you're but I'm putting in context when you years later, but when
6: you were the Patriots.
7: Yeah. They were everyone was saying that's our rival, the Patriots. There there's no You're gonna get the A game yes. of everybody. There's no doubt that when you're the top of the heap, you yeah. you have a target on you. There's no doubt. Correct. But then from a geography standpoint, there are like, you know, all the teams I just mentioned are in tight proximity from the the, the better team, right? The Patriots and the Jets. I mean you're talking about two hundred miles. Uh, you know less than that as the crow flies. I mean the Oakland Raiders I mean we you, you share you share the same coastline with the at the time they were in Oakland with the Chargers. Uh, now we're talking about Lakers Clippers they share a building. Now we're talking about Dodgers Padres. they share an interstate. I I, I mean geography and fan intent are really important here because that's what sort of gaslights, these rivalries. Okay, well, that
6: brings up, so I did a show with Andy Furman last week, and you know, Andy's based out of Cincinnati, and we were talking last weekend, obviously, about that first series of the year between the Dodgers and Padres. I go, I mean, Andy, this is this is a growing rivalry. He goes, what? I was watching the Indians' White Sox. I mean, that, that's, that's to me, the hot rivalry right now. I'm like, you're missing this, Andy, the, the Dodgers. He goes, look, for where I'm sitting, I'm I'm sorry, that's... That's nothing. Well, so, I mean, yeah. My question is, as we suddenly are putting a bigger spotlight on this on this matchup, on the other side, just just the role that a Fernando Tatis Jr. plays in all of this. Sure, yeah. Because Major League Baseball is trying to figure out how do we get more eyes on our game? How do we go beyond being just regional to more of a national spotlight? Can the antics, and I'm going to use the word antics, of a Fernando Tatis Jr. help baseball get to that national level that they've been missing for a long time? We're going to tell you coming up next. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. Steve Harvin, Rich Orenberger with you on this Sunday. John Paul Morosi is going to be joining us coming up here from Fox Sports Radio. Our MLB insider, also with the MLB Network. Talk more about this series that we've been talking about. Rich has excused himself. He uh, got a little emotional here uh, during the time out there. And uh, he's he left us, Sam.
4: You find this, man. <laughs>
6: Sometimes I wonder if Rich is aware of the clock around here. Oh, here he is. Here he is. He's back. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, Rich, we were talking about uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. I really felt going into this weekend series, this this kid's been through a lot this year. He started the season out, and you could tell he was pressing. Yeah. Uh, He had had an injury uh, to a shoulder during spring training that the team dismissed is not much of a big deal. In fact, he actually came back and played spring training games. So you were like, oh, okay, that doesn't seem to be much of a deal. He struck out three times on opening day, and you could just see he was a little over anxious. So he was struggling a little bit, and then all of a sudden, he finally gets his first home run, and the next game he has a big swing, and the shoulder just unravels on him. And he's out for a week. And now all of a sudden there was all these question marks about – You're looking at his batting average in the low 100s. He just signed a $340 million contract extension. Errors all over the place. I mean, seven errors in the first eight games. He had three in 59 games last year. And you could just tell that he wasn't right. He was out of sorts. He was doing too much. There's no question about it. So – after the weekend series against the Dodgers last weekend where he had hit a home run, then he had a play where he threw the ball away. It wasn't 100% his fault, but again, he was trying to make a spectacular play. He just, he just kept getting the feeling that the guy was trying to play to the cameras and create, you know, these highlight reel films all over the place. The The Padres benched him on Tuesday in their series against Milwaukee. And they also happened to bench Manny Machado the same day. And I, I get a sense because they're very tight. Where Manny, it was one of those days where they almost said Manny, talk to him. And yeah. I, and my guess was knowing sort of how Manny Machado might operate, because he's been under the spotlight since a very early stage in his career, where I, I would imagine all Manny had to say is, man, let's just have some fun. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, think about this. Dude. You know, we have these long, we're going to be together for a decade here, right? Let's just go back to having some fun. Yeah. And so they brought up Tatis as a pinch hitter in that game. He got a base hit. Next day, he hit the ball hard. He got a big double off Josh Hader. And now he goes into this Dodger series. And I had a sense with the spotlight back on him this time that he was going to be ready and back to back, double uh, two home run gains. And he's doing the antics with Trevor Bauer. And now we're seeing again the kid that baseball is so hoping will be that crossover star yeah. to get a new generation of sports fans engaged in baseball, where he brings the fun factor and backs it up with, you know, plays that very few players can make in the field and at the plate that he has that. And, and you know, you just keep your fingers crossed. I'm not just talking if you're a Padres fan. I'm just saying as a baseball fan, he needs to be that guy. You need – you need
7: – a lightning rod, mm-hmm. uh, in in order to attract attention. And Fernando Tatis Jr. There are going to be people who are turned off by the way he approaches the, the game. The bat flips, the bat flips, the the entertainment on the base path. The look, I mean, I look at it as excitement. I look at it as as celebration and something joyful and fun to watch, especially with such an outstanding player. There's a lot of people who. You know, thumb their nose at that sort of act—and I I I don't get it because we see it. It's it's readily available in all sports, and I, and there's less of a cry in those sports. Maybe outside of golf, you know, you can't. It, there there's no aggressive celebration in golf, but there there's really very little room for it in golf. Also, and and frankly, I remember in the early days of Tiger Woods. People were really upset with the way he celebrated mm-hmm. long putts and big wins, and you know, is he winning with grace? It's just to me, it's a little bit of stodgy nonsense, and it's it's an antiquated feel, and that's the biggest problem with baseball. And there are a lot of people who will defend the merits of you know the sort of the the politics of the game, right? These unwritten rules, and you know you know you celebrate on us we're going to throw at you and and all that stuff the the self policing that goes on in baseball and if you cheerlead that stuff that's fine but you're cheerleading a sinking ship because that's not what people tune in for anymore they're not they're they're not tuning in for beam I, I, I mean don't get me wrong i have nothing wrong with beam But people are tuning in to see bat flips. People are tuning in to see walk-offs and stare-downs
6: and celebrations crossing second base. Well, Trevor Bauer yesterday, so think about this. So the day before Kershaw, who struck out Fernando three straight times the first time they met this year, now he hits two home runs off Kershaw. And now he's leading off against Bauer and not only hits a home run, but he's showing up Bauer as he's running the bases. Now, old school baseball, I guarantee you, the next time he's at the plate, that pitcher is throwing chin music. Oh, he's going to wear one. He's going to wear one. You're not going to show me up. Yeah. But Bauer doesn't care about that. Bauer's one of those guys where he's like, eh, you know, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then he gives up another home run to him, right? After apparently, uh, you know, uh, now we've got this uh, Tatis looking down, trying to steal the sign, you know, looking down at the catcher and everything. Whatever. I'm going to be very interested to see his first at to bat today. Yeah, well, because Bauer was not into retaliation. That's not Bauer's game. He yeah. just he's he gets it, like you say. Bauer's getting the whole thing. This yeah. is a good show, and he likes to be part of that show. You got Dustin May, a young pitcher who's really pitched well against the Padres. I don't. I'm not so convinced that the first time that Fernando Tatis walks to the plate that there's a little reminder that we, the Dodgers world champions, do not appreciate your antics. Look, here's my
7: hope. I hope that the Dodgers throw at Fernando Tatis Jr. I agree with you. I hope that Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, isn't injured by the, the, right. the throw, I you know, he gets out of the way of it or it's glancing yeah. or, you know, if it hits him, it's somewhere in soft tissue where he just uh, rolls off his back. But I hope it clears the dugout. Yes. I hope that we see more emotion out of this rivalry mm. that is starting mm. to pick up speed. And and to, to the credit of Trevor Bauer, and we're going to hear from him in just a minute, he's truly leaning into this, as the new ritual and setting aside the old rituals. Here's the Dodger pitcher.
0: I want to say something about that because I think it's important. You know, he did it in the first. I didn't see it because I was paying attention to doing my job, and then he did it again when he homered off me again later in the game. Their dugout was doing it, and I I like it. I, I think that pitchers who have that done to them and react by throwing at people or, you know, getting upset and hitting people or whatever, I think it's pretty soft. If you give up a homer a guy should celebrate it you know he, it's hard to hit in the big leagues I'm all for it and I think it's it's important that you know the game moves in that direction and we stop throwing at people because they celebrated having some success on the field
6: I, I just can't imagine I mean you know the late Bob Gibson Don, I mean they're spinning in their graves I mean for a pitcher to say yeah you know I that's, they should be celebrating. <laughs> you, got, wow! I mean, Bauer is is new school. Obviously, it's yeah. a completely different mentality. I have never heard a frontline pitcher ever say anything remotely like that. That absolutely, if the guy tags me for a home run, go celebrate to your heart's content. Well, even if you're showing me up. That's a guy who walks the walk
7: because he understands what it means to troll somebody. Like yeah. he wears the trash cans painted on his cleats, mm. you know, to show the Astros his discontent. He says brash things to media outlets. He'll even question reporters' integrity or credentialing. He is the quintessential heel yeah he likes to be kind of the butt of the joke and the instigator of the action and so when somebody does it back to him this is like the the, the this is this is the old saying like well what happens when the bully gets punched on the schoolyard bowers all for it he was like yeah this is what i'm asking for i want somebody opposite me To lean into all the controversy as well. He wants some. And the fact that they're on opposing squads makes this so much more fun. Now, like you said, Dustin Mays up. Maybe he throws at him. Maybe he doesn't. I honestly, just in this case, because it is a budding rivalry on the national scene, Mm -hmm. it is something that could encapsulate the interests of all baseball fans or even sports fans in general if this becomes important to them overwhelmingly so it'll become important to everybody else so i hope this becomes a thing i hope this ignites this
6: this this controversy and this rivalry even even further if with the dodgers winning last night okay so you know it could have been a a, a sweep potentially for the padres but now that the dodgers have won and you're not going to see this team for a while because they've had these 7 games in 10 days against each other don't be surprised if the Dodgers sent a message tonight. They're they're not about to relinquish where they are, still top of the mountain in Major League Baseball for these upstarts, and they they, they get the whole thing here. And Dave Roberts is a, their manager is a very subtle guy. He's not going to you know he's he's always going to say the right things, but I, I'm going to guess and it and it's good. I I I would I'll put it this way: I would be stunned if we don't see something in this game tonight that people are going to be buzzing about tomorrow.
7: Yeah. This is going to be uh, an exciting finish one way or another.
6: All right. John Pomorosi is going to be joining us on the other side. We'll get much more into this. First, let's find out what's trending right now as we bring back David Gascon. You want to see a little, a little piss I, the cuffs, something going on tonight.
5: You know, I got a problem with his comments in the sense that throwing at a guy does not necessarily mean that you have a problem with his antics. I mean, there are guys, Tatis is one of them, and for the Dodgers, Justin Turner. One thing they have in common is they're all over home plate. Oh, yeah. They're standing on top of it. For the sake of getting these guys off the plate, I mean, Tatis' second home run yesterday was a mile outside, and he still found a way to pull it. I mean, these guys are diving over the plate, so the only way to get them off of it is to what? It's to throw up and in at these guys. Give them something to think about that goes inside as opposed to working away. yep. In the sequences so far with Bauer and Machado, I think he had thrown 14 straight sliders. Yeah, to him, and part of the reason, Fats, Machado's been owning him. <laughs> He's been owning him since his days in Cleveland. So, the other thing is, if you go inside on these guys, and obviously they got to respect both portions of the plate, and the game's called drastically different by the empire.
6: Did you see Machado came in with a 6.50 career yes. batting average against Bauer? The third time Bauer got him out, there was an acknowledgement. Like Machado yeah. looked at him like On a slider. On yeah. a slider. Wow, yeah. you actually got me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I
7: mean, look I, I and and who doesn't love look, there is gamesmanship yeah, in, in throwing close to or on top of a batter. Yeah. There's games gamesmanship on celebration. I think it's a it's a part of the mental game and it's a great part of the game these yeah. days.
5: Yeah, and that's why I th- I mean that's why a portion of his comments I just say there's nothing wrong with throwing at a guy, right. or at least up and in, to get him off the plate. I mean it, Guys like Randy Johnson, Curt Schilling, you go back to Drysdale, Bob Gibson, they probably would have taken their heads off. (laughs) They would have. I mean, that's not even a question. Yeah. So that game will start at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific with Joe Musgrove versus Dustin May in that pitching matchup. As far as what it goes down to right now, Indians 6-3 lead over the New York Yankees. Framel Reyes with a three-run shot the opposite way for the home team in that one. Mets 4-0 over the Washington Nationals. It looks like the A's 12-game losing streak is going to come to a close. Baltimore's got two on and two out in the home half of the eighth. 4-1 Orioles with the advantage there. NBA, one game that went final and was never even close. Hornets, 125-104 victors over the Boston Celtics. Hornets led wire to wire in this one, guys. 22 points, 12 rebounds from P.J. Washington. On the ice, Pittsburgh and Boston right now are scoreless in the first period of play.
6: All right, thank you very much, uh, David. Now let's uh, let's jump in a little bit more about Major League Baseball. He is, well, he is a man amongst men. He is with Fox Sports Radio here as our MLB insider. He's with the MLB Network. He's with the NHL Network. He is the one, the only, John Paul Morosi. And, JP, we love having you on every weekend, especially in the midst of of a rivalry that we were touting before the season that has more than lived up to the hype. As we get ready for this seventh matchup of this young season between the Padres and the Dodgers, what have been some of the elements in this series, this rivalry that's brewing right now, that Major League Baseball needs to take note of? Why can't we say that this is what a rivalry is supposed to be in Major League Baseball.
2: Well, great setup, Steve, and thanks as always for having me on the show today. I I go back and I heard the the great conversation with David in the break about uh, the the Tatis Bauer back and forth. That is a microcosm of what I hope the next 10, 20 years of baseball looks like. Two players at their peaks. Two players who have really magnetic personalities that people are drawn to throughout the major leagues. Even if you're not a partisan of the Dodgers or the Padres, you appreciate their personalities, their style of play. Um, You saw Bauer, obviously, before in the previous series with the emphatic strikeout, the way he celebrated that. And then, of course, um, his comments after the game last night to the effect of, hey, I celebrated when I did well. Tatis celebrated when he did well, that's great. It's great for the game, and I, I think that's exactly what we're talking about. This is, there has been way too much made, guys, over the years in baseball. When a home run is celebrated or a strikeout is celebrated, the quote-unquote offending party must then apologize to the opposite side. Why? Why? This is a competitive business. It's also the entertainment business. We want people to be engaged with the product. It's not disrespecting the sport to get excited and and to uh, every now and then uh, show some emotion. And, and yeah, even uh, throw back a little good-natured trash talk to the other side. That's part of being a competitor. That's how the game works. This is professional sports. And so I'm a big believer in that. I loved it, and I hope, I hope, that other rivalries, other players, other teams see that and emulate it going forward. Is there is there
7: any push from the league offices or, in your opinion, from – from and I, I, I don't know where it would come from, so that's the reason why I'm asking you, but is there any push internally to see more celebration or to capture more of the celebration on the cameras and to make sure – that is spread wide because I feel like I'm seeing it more, right? I feel like those highlights are more readily shared than they've ever been before in, in my time viewing baseball. I I'm watching players celebrate on the base pass. I'm watching the stare downs at home plate. I'm watching the bat flips. It feels like major league baseball. I'm talking about the league is embracing right. that more so now than they ever have in the history of the game.
2: Well, you're right, Rich, and here's the interesting part about it, uh, is that within moments of that home run, the first one last night, the, the covering the eye celebration of Tatis was everywhere on social media. The official accounts of the Padres, the official accounts of MLB, it was out there, and it was able to be shared and retweeted and celebrated. It was out there, and that is on purpose. Remember, it was a couple years ago where the campaign was Let the Kids Play. I believe that was their marketing campaign back in the 2019 playoffs, Let the Kids Play. And so it's interesting where you would occasionally and even frequently see a message shared by MLB's social media channels along the lines of Let the Kids Play, and then after the same game you would have uh, the, the media having to ask a player on the opposite team, hey, what did you think about that celebration? And player X says, well, I didn't like it. He's disrespecting me. He's showing me up. And, and we have this perpetual cycle of league social media accounts says, let the kids play. Let's have fun. And then some of the old guard says, no, 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 no. That's too much fun. We can't have fun in baseball. And and that's it's been that push and pull. But, but what, what, here's what I think is so interesting. Let's say that you're a older fan, with older sensibilities, and you're watching the game last night, and Tatis hits a home run, and, and then he wheels around first base and covers his eye. Did you turn off the TV? I hope not. And I don't think that many people did. Oh, my gosh, I took so much offense. I had to, take, I had to turn off the TV and never watch it again. I, I, I just don't think that's the reaction. I really don't. Meanwhile, on the positive side, how many fans were just home on a Saturday and and were on Twitter and saw that celebration and liked it, retweeted it, or, very importantly, turned on the game and watched it. Because that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to broaden the tent of baseball fans, bring in more fans, bring in new fans. It's exciting. I I think, by and large, guys, I, I will say this. Baseball is going to win many more new fans than they will lose old fans if the eventual let the kids play wins the day here. And and people like Tatis and Bauer are the future of the game and the old guard that's steaming about someone flipping a bat or expressing joy in the field, that is so tired. And that attitude, fortunately, is at long last, I believe, just steadily working its way out of the game.
6: Now one thing that's all over social media today is Fernando Tatis Jr., stealing the sign before his second home run of against Bowers. so they they slow motion where he's standing at the plate and he looks down at Will Smith at the catching to catch what the signal is and then he hits the next bat I, I mean are people just paranoid or I mean is that real or what do you make of that
2: Well here's here's what I would say to that that the ability to pick up a sign on the field using your own eyes and your own baseball intuition, um, that is not a scandal. That is that is looking at what's available to you on the field in terms of information. Uh, similarly, if, if a base runner is on second base and is able to pick up a sign or relay it to home plate based on on-the-field knowledge, that is not illegal. So that that's where... There is the elect, electronic subterfuge for which the Astros were penalized, and that is very much new age and something that has, that has uh, been a re- relatively recent creation of the game. But if you're able to peek down and get the catcher's sign and then hit the next pitch out, that, I'm sorry to say, is on the catcher. Uh, I, you know, I, I certainly... I was taught when I was a teenager and I was catching that you had to hide, make sure that the guy's not peeking down. You have to do different things to obscure the sign. That's that's baseball. So I, I, I don't think anybody in the game would have any issue with that, and that's that's a matter for the Dodgers to – show up their own uh, sign-giving practices, if that's, in fact, what happened. Well,
6: yesterday. and that's what a lot of people say. Wow, if he can look down for half a second and figure out what the next pitch is, maybe you need to change your signs. But it also gets back very quickly here to the, the power of Tatis already. Like, you're, yeah. you're looking for things. He's a polarizing guy. Yep. Either you're just, like, yep. all in with Fernando Tatis, or he is quickly becoming that player that you hate. And oh well, look what look what he's doing there, cheater! cheater. This is a good thing. Yeah, you mean, want polarizing I don't see a lot figures? I'm not about it, really. I
2: mean, I don't, and maybe that's just my own attitude on the game right now, guys. But he, you know, peeking at a sign—that's that is a—that is not even a, an offense in my estimation. And also celebrating a home run, more of it, my friends. But we got to bring that on and have more of it in the game going forward.
7: No question about it. JP, we always appreciate your time. We respect your time. You are a busy man, as we uh, documented earlier. Thanks again for jumping on the show, and we appreciate the insight.
2: Rich and Steve, always enjoy it, my friends. Uh, Look forward to next weekend as well. And and game seven, we can call it game seven tonight. It feels (laughs) like it's the game seven of a playoff series.
6: It's just great that we have excitement right now in baseball, especially in the month of April. Exactly. Uh, on the Let, week of the NFL draft, we have baseball to talk about. Thanks so much, JP. We'll talk I'll to you next you week. John Paul Morosi, by the way, you can follow him on Twitter at John Morosi. No H necessary there. J O N M O R O S I. Always great insight. Um, I just showed you the replay there. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, he definitely took a glance, there's no question. And then he hit the next pitch out.
7: Yeah. How much did he ascertain from the glance? Did he figure it out? Or was, honestly, was it did a bug fly in his eye? I mean, we'll never know. <laughs> no, he was
6: looking down. He we'll, clearly we'll, was looking down.
7: We'll never know. But what I do know is the mm. next one parked itself five rows back in center field. Yeah. So. A pitch
6: that uh, seemingly he could not hit. This pitch was way outside, and he reached out one hand. He was told, keep those both hands on the bat, not on that pitch, and he hit it out for a home run. Uh, Dodgers did, by the way, get the win last night, so they'll be quick to remind you of that. All right, so uh, we've been touching a little bit on Major League Baseball. We're going to have much more NFL draft coming up. want to get into a little bit of the NBA for a moment on the other side because the world champions have one star back, but it's a painful reminder that it's the other star they need if they're going to repeat as champions coming up next. Steve Harvin, Rich Ornberger. All right, so with all the talk about the draft, we have much more coming up in the next hour on the NFL draft, which will be on Thursday. And, yeah, some interest in Major League Baseball with this uh, brewing rivalry between the Dodgers and the Padres. The NBA is uh, a little bit on the back burner right now. We're down about 12 games to go, folks. That's it, before we get ready for the playoffs and I mean, we could go all day about this play-in series and everything else. I I don't get me started on that. I just anyway. Um, but this has been an interesting year in the sense that so many star players of the NBA have missed significant time this year. Yeah. You know, trying yeah. to figure out the MVP around the NBA. Obviously, LeBron went out, Embiid went out. I mean, a lot of these guys have been missing time. And so when you have to fill out your ballot, you're like, I, I don't know which way we're going here. Yeah, is so it Luca? I mean, Embiid
7: has been incredible this season. I, I
6: mean, how about like, how about Chris Paul?
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this
7: was a Phoenix team. Remember, they
6: were eight zero in the bubble last year. They had that hot bubble situation. Yeah, they they were they were on a winning streak through their time there. Right. And then they they acquire Chris Paul, and he's not putting up gaudy numbers. He averaged like sixteen points, eight assists. But suddenly, they're the number 2 seed in the West. And, you know, Devin Booker obviously is a huge part of that. But, you know, you say, how much value has Chris Paul lent to the Suns? And the answer is a lot. Oh, yeah. He has taken that team to a whole different level. But getting back to the Lakers situation with LeBron James. So, Anthony Davis missed 30 games. And he wasn't even 100% healthy when the season started. It was obvious that he was not 100% right so he comes back, and a lot of Laker fans were excited. All right, now here we go. His first two games back, and they both were against the Mavericks. Seven of twenty-nine shooting—that's twenty-three percent shooting. A lot of rust there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said after the game last night he was feeling good, just getting his wind. Yeah, you know, you know, running up and down the court and everything else. But to me, it was also a reminder again. Look, the Lakers are the champs until they're not the champs, uh, and they're also the champs with LeBron. Until they're not with LeBron. To me, it just points out again, it's great as Anthony Davis is. I'm not to diminish his role in their championship a year ago. It, it centers around LeBron James. And I, I will maintain until I've been proven wrong that when you talk about who is the most valuable player in this league, it has been for a long time and continues to be LeBron James. Oh, there's no doubting that. Look. <laughs> LeBron James is not only uh,
7: still an excellent player, but he's one of the better facilitators of offensive basketball in this league. Now, you mentioned CP3. That's another guy who can really, really help share the ball and uh, and get things done outside of just his own impact on the game and plays great defense as well. Uh, LeBron James can do all those things, but also he has so much position flexibility that he really strains defenses when you're preparing for the Lakers because they have... They have uh, Anthony Davis who's a center who can play all the way up to shooting guard and they have LeBron James who could be a point guard all the way down to a four. You know, so you have problems when these guys are healthy and that's the reason why they're the champs. But yeah, with either one of them off the court, the Lakers are are very mortal. And that's just our league right now when you look across the NBA. If you don't have multiple stars, you really don't have a shot.
6: I want to throw something out there that you could do a whole show on, but I just want to make it a note here. You know, LeBron got a lot of grief for something he posted on social media the other day, and people were trying to make a lot of noise out of this on both sides. And here we are, and it's it's already passed. You know, now it's based, when are we going to get LeBron back on the court? And yeah. I, I, I only mention this in the sense that if you're a sports fan in general – I mean, it's not that we're saying you can't do that stuff, but the the people think it has a greater impact than it really does. Sports people just want to see sports. They want to see their athletes on the court, on the field, whatever it is. And honestly, the rest of it really doesn't have much of an impact.
7: Yeah, I mean, I I never on the back of a baseball card (laughs) looked for somebody's political party leanings. You know, it's just, it's it's... It's not as important to me as maybe it is to others, but I get what you're putting out there. I want to see LeBron back on the court.
6: I also want to get to that NFL draft surprises coming up. We're going to tell you next. Rolling along on this Sunday. Yeah. April. April. It's a great month. And it's been a a return to some normalcy around the sports scene. You know, next week we have the uh, Kentucky Derby. Oh, yeah. Back in its normal slot. I still think when we look back on 2020, we're just going to marvel at the fact that as we went from the start of the pandemic in mid-March, really until the end of June, I mean, there was nothing. I mean, we were just scrambling here watching Cornhole and, you know, I mean, we were and we really had the the distinct possibility and we're openly discussing it at the time that we may not get. Any sports in 2020. Like, there will be nothing. There will be no return of the NBA, no return of the NHL, no NFL, no college football, no Major League Baseball. we were going to have nothing. And the fact that they were able to somehow backload it where, you know, we were sitting here watching the Masters and we were watching – you know, we were we were watching major golf championships and the NBA finals and baseball playoffs simultaneously. Like what are we watching? Yeah, it was there was information overload, and they just jammed. The only things, honestly, when you look back at 2020, major events that did not happen uh, were the uh, Wimbledon. And the British Open. No, the NCAA tournament. Well, but that was at the very beginning yeah, of yeah, the yeah, pandemic. Yeah. But as we moved into the second half, as they rescheduled the Indy 500 yeah, and yeah, the Kentucky yeah. Derby and all the other things. Masters
7: pushed to November. Yeah, And
6: then U.S. Open tennis. Oh, they got them all in with the exception of those two. But now, now at least schedule-wise, we're back on track. But I just wanted to just take a little side note here on, on where we sit with this pandemic. Now you've been fully vaccinated. Yeah. And I've been fully vaccinated. We've gotten our multiple shots. Uh, Sam, I understand that your second shot is coming up. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Beg- uh, early May, early May. And uh, you get ready for that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I can't wait. You, right. Yeah. You, yeah. You know what? If the, if you do get reaction, to the second shot, believe me, it's, it's short term, right? For It'll feel a little uncomfortable. Most likely yeah, you're a young it. guy. So, but everything else, but, you know, we were just reminded the other day that uh you could have still have these COVID shutdowns. Oh yeah. I mean, there's oh, there's yeah. still there's still floating around out there and I I mentioned this cuz I have a friend of mine I, I mentioned the Showtime is going to do or, or, or I'm sorry, HBO is going to have a uh, series on the Showtime Lakers. Okay. And they cast it and everything. This is going to be a big time looking back on the Magic Johnson era of the Lakers. And so they're in production right now. They're actually shooting the shows finally. And everybody was fully vaccinated, fully vaccinated. That's on that set. Okay. Uh, you know, proof that we've got our shots and everything else. And they're still being tested three days a week. Sure. Get this. So be and I was like, why if everybody on the set, literally everybody on the set has proof they've been fully vaccinated. Why do you still have to be tested three days a week? Guess what happened? They got shut down. Yep, I told you. We, you were they got shut down you even this with up. everyone fully vaccinated yeah. and being tested three days a week. Something happened where they had to shut it
7: down. You brought this up uh, last weekend. We were talking about this briefly, and this is just going to be what it is for a little while longer. Look, a little con-
6: while longer or a lot longer.
7: It could be a lot longer. I'm guessing a little while longer because I. Here's where we're fortunate and here's here's where we're not. Well, I'll start where we're not. Where we're not fortunate is this was mass hysteria when this pandemic broke out. I mean, we had no idea what the death rate was going to inevitably be. We had no idea... Uh, what the long-term effects of catching this virus was going to be. There was great reticence as to how much interpersonal contact we should have. The shutdowns appeared to be the right move at first, but then later it was proven less effective or, or equally effective to places that didn't shut down. I mean, this was, it was confusing times. But where we got fortunate is somehow, And this is just by grace. Somehow, this virus doesn't really affect kids, right? You have, and this is not to be insensitive to anybody who had a kid who got very sick or potentially passed away from this. I'm not trying to say that. But you have a situation where the children are largely unaffected by this, which is insane because imagine how much more hysteria there would be if they
6: were. Now, I'm watching a couple of baseball games right now. One of them is in Houston, the other is in St. Louis. Look at the fans behind home plate. Is anybody wearing a mask? Ah, uh, no, no. I was looking the same thing in St. Louis. I mentioned that because we've been watching these games at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, and everybody behind home plate is wearing a mask. Sure. So look at that. Look at that crowd, right? That's a that's a pretty good. Yeah, it's a mixed dense bag. crowd. But I mean, that there's a little density in the crowd. I'm only seeing a couple of people wearing a mask. Yeah, there. I, I agree with you. I, I mean, and now we're talking about opening yeah. up these stadiums. The NFL has made it clear. I mean, Roger Goodell said we're going to have full stadiums this fall. Well,
7: let me let me say something else about that. Another great fortune, mm-hmm. and and again, this is just by simply sim- the virology or whatever the epidemiology, the the, the the this virus somehow, some way, just does not transmit as well in daylight in outdoor scenarios. We're we're just very fortunate in that way because interpersonal contact outdoors doesn't appear. To spread this vi- vi- virus in widespread outbreak, or as effectively as even you know intimate settings, five people around a dinner table can spread it more easily than hundred people near each other in an outdoor area. It's it's strange, and I don't have the answers. I don't know why it's like it is, but
6: it is that way. So it just seems weird to me because yeah. again, I've been watching this Padre Dodgers series all weekend. I'm looking; I don't see anybody wearing a mask. Look at that. Nobody's wearing a mask at that game. I
7: again, with more information, you you like you, you just you, you're going to be able to experience life a little bit more freely and without without as much fear as when we started dealing with this over a year ago. Now. They
6: are literally scanning this crowd here in the St. Louis game, and there isn't a single person wearing a mask. Yeah. Steve, I think if you're, you know,
0: around a bunch of people for three plus hours, it'd be wise to wear a mask. But we have heard recently, more recently from doctors that being outdoors and catching the virus is it's pretty hard to do. It's really, really difficult to do. It's just amazing, though.
6: But in different sections, I mean, we're speaking all over the country right now. You know, we're watching games in the Midwest where obviously there is a very different mentality than there is at least here in the state of California.
7: And, and and again, I'm not a virus expert. I'm not a political expert. But we all know what was the, the effects. And I actually didn't realize how much power like a state governor, for example, had over our lives. Yeah, You know, over our sports, over our religious beliefs, over... I, I had no idea. But look, in, in times of dire straits... Apparently, <laughs> restrictions can, and mandates can be handed down that will be enforced that unfortunately I limit businesses from being available to stay open and and people from be able to practice you know uh, whatever it is that they're looking to practice on a daily basis in in you know in hopes that we can curb something for the greater health of the public. I had no idea, but, but guess what? We're, we're all a lot more well-versed in that. Now the, the benefits of this past year have been there, the whole world's focus has been on how do we get on the other side of this? And so studies on virtually every front have been launched on, on this virus. And we're learning more and more about it every day. And just like you said, Sam, just like the, the data, as it becomes more available is proving outdoor you know uh, uh activities sporting events concert venues co- comic shows whatever you're going to do outdoors appears to be safer than indoors and so people are taking those liberties because it's starting to feel more normal in that way well
6: again we we've had a much more stricter guidelines in california than the rest of the country no doubt. in many doubts and so when i sit here thinking you know w- are we ever going to get back to normal? And other people in other parts of the country saying, "What's taking you so long?" We've we haven't. I mean, Mike, my, my school, my school has been open since September. My kids are doing full days. They've been doing it since since September, October. But that's not a public school, right? Well, or it's in different districts. different district, right. everything else. But I mean, they're saying. In, we, in different we, states we, yeah, yeah. We, we've been normal for a while here so i don't know what's going on where I know you are to moved uh but uh, to,
7: to move that state mm-hmm. uh really with the intent to get their kids yeah. in school now yes. look that's a personal decision and everybody makes their decisions based right. off of their comfort level or their beliefs or whatever and you know as a result of the decision you know, their kids were able to mm-hmm. go to school full time all fall long, all throughout. And what was interesting, because you know I stayed close in contact with this buddy, is there was no widespread outbreak at the school. They they were fortunate enough to avoid it. And then the more the more research being done, you're seeing less and less um availability for outbreak amongst younger people which again is is it's it, again this this virus is a scourge it's awful but there that is such a great fortune because if this affected children more negatively yeah the hysteria would have been Way, way different. And
6: by the way, that was the case with younger people 100 years ago with the pandemic. It did affect younger people as opposed to older people.
7: Influenza still to this day is more dangerous for kids. A a quick prediction from from
6: you. Uh, Getting back to the NFL specifically, do you believe we will have anybody on the sidelines wearing a mask this season? Look, Anybody, I, I, I think as we get, further, we are maskless in the NFL this fall. I,
7: I think as we get further and further away from yes. the beginning of this pandemic, you're going to see more and more latitude. Are we going to see a hundred thousand fans packed into Beaver stadium? Now, now that part of it, I have no doubt.
6: hundred thousand.
7: I think that we are seeing yeah. more and more venue mm. operators anxious to fill up their uh, joint, just oh. like they do. Look, Go- globe life. Yeah. no restrictions there's, yes i mean there's venues everywhere in texas and yep. in florida where they're they don't have restrictions and we'll see what 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 occurs i just so I, far, I, I just, there just haven't just been widespread of I'm, of outbreak
6: i'm watching these baseball games in st louis and houston and, and nobody's wearing a mask they're and, they're and there's there's they're they're not socially distanced you see packs of hundreds of people sort of all packed together and uh, no one seems to be phased. I mean, wow, I don't know if you get away with that here, but uh, at least somewhere you are. All right, we're going to get back to the NFL draft Thursday. we got a lot going on with the draft this year. I think it's one of the more intriguing drafts. So are we going to see the quarterbacks just go bang, 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 bang at the top of the draft? Or is this just gameplay that is going to be far different than we expect? We'll update you coming up next. Steve Harvin and Rich Ornberger. Hey, a reminder again. Thursday is day one of the NFL draft. Glazer, Brooks, Arrington, Burkhart. Yeah, that's the team that Fox Sports Radio has assembled for your first round draft coverage on Thursday. It's going to start at 8 p.m. Eastern. Richie and you and I have uh done many draft days in the past. Oh, yeah. And uh <laughs> some of them have been pretty long days. Those first rounds can get can drag along. Uh, Uh, And a lot of it depends, obviously, on trades. and uh, It only takes one surprise pick. Yeah, And that's why we get back to the top of this draft. The betting odds are still in the favor of Mac Jones going third overall to the San Francisco 49ers.
7: And let me tell you one thing, one reason why I think that still makes – a good deal of sense, even if people say, well, Lance and Fields are both better, and that's assuming if Lawrence and Wilson are off the board and all the rest. It's because, again, like we touched on to start the show today, Kyle Shanahan is looking for somebody who can run his offense, not the other way around. I don't think he's particularly interested in curtailing the way he does things for a talent who may have a tremendous amount of athleticism or a skill set that he can amend his system to. I think he's more interested in running his system with the perfect quarterback to match that system. And I think originally the, 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 the processing was, well, Garoppolo's that guy. He can run, look, I mean, he he took over the Patriots offense, which is, you know, advanced algebra, and he handled it swimmingly. It, his only knock is he hurt his shoulder in the short stint that he was starting during the deflategate uh, suspension. So is he going to be injury prone with us? And as it turned out, he was. So they move on. And if they end up with Mac Jones, what they're going to have is what many, many draft experts and college football uh, analysts refer to as an elite processor. And what does that mean? It means that you're going to have a guy who can run a system at the next level, assumedly. So if he joins the 49ers after running a pro-style-esque system at Alabama, he could step into those shoes at at QB1 right away with the 49ers and have some success running Kyle Shanahan's system. And that's what he wants.
6: But I get back to, and and this is I mean, you got these two coaches in the same division, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Sure. And at various times in their young coaching careers, they have been deemed the next thing. Yeah. again okay, This is this is the future of the NFL. You go back to the Rams' embarrassing loss in the Super Bowl, where Belichick just schooled them. I mean, they got not three points. Three points from a team that was this high powered offense with all these different weapons. And Belichick schooled the young guy, saying, and ever since then, the Rams' offense has never been the same. The Rams made the playoffs last year because they had the number one defense in the league. Oh, yeah. Not because they had the well, offense. And was Brandon Staley
7: was rewarded handsomely with a head coaching job with the Chargers. Right.
6: Yeah. So now you got Sean McVay saying, okay, it's it's not me. It's the quarterback. So they give up picks to get rid of them because they had a huge contract. And, you know, to unload the contract, they had to not only give up a young quarterback who'd been to a Super Bowl and multiple Pro Bowls, they had to throw in extra picks to unload that contract to bring in a quarterback who has never won a playoff game, who's only won 10 games in a 10-year career against teams that finished those seasons with a winning record. Because you deem that he has the tools necessary to run my offense. And now Kyle Shanahan, he's going to have to find that guy in the draft. So it's amazing. When we talk about the egos of these young coaches that are fed by people keep telling them, you're the next thing. You're you're taking offensive football to the whole next level. But we're not actually seeing it on the field. So it's not you. It's who's ever executing. There's a lot on Kyle Shanahan. If they make the wrong pick. If they I mean if they say goodbye to Jimmy Garoppolo and hand the ball to whoever it is whether it's Trey Lance or Justin Fields or Mac Jones and it's still not working then you might have to look in the mirror. Maybe maybe Kyle Shanahan isn't the so-called genius you've made him out to be. Well, there's this is interesting though
7: because I think him and Lynch are tied. So they both got the initial 6-year contracts and then after the Super Bowl this they both got Uh, extensions of six years so so the I I do think that they're considered a matched pair John Lynch as a general manager Kyle Shanahan as the head coach and they were hired together at the same time to sort of be checks and balances of each other there's no question that one side unless they're in complete agreement whoever they select at third overall is who they want running the system uh, then somebody is going to be holding more guilt if it doesn't work out than the other.
6: Everyone I've been talking to about that dynamic, that if indeed they're not on the same page on who to take, that it ultimately will be Kyle Shanahan's decision. Well,
7: it's all speculation until we know. This is what I do know. I do know that Sean McVay, as you mentioned, is a is a coach who trusts his system more than the players in the system. All right, Kyle Shanahan is very similar. Josh McDaniels, on the other hand, an offensive coordinator, offensive-minded coach with the New England Patriots, thinks about the sport very differently. He doesn't have a system that quarterbacks will and must run. He changes the system to the talents of his quarterback. You saw a completely different system Mm. with Cam Newton. But that's the Patriot way.
6: Yeah, but, but... but That's always been the Belichick that's, way. That's, Identify the talent and put your players right. in a position to succeed. But
7: that's also Andy Reid, right. right? Okay, he yep. has a, an amendable system. Alex mm-hmm. Smith ran a different system than Patrick Mahomes, there's no question. There's a lot of coaches like that. There are two very different philosophies. And I thought Wade Phillips, actually, since you talk about the Rams' loss in the Super Bowl, he did a fantastic job yep. coaching in that Super Bowl, holding the Patriots at bay. The Rams just couldn't score. But he said it best when he said, look, you know, there are a lot of different ways to look at football. He's like, but if you have a great player playing in your great system and he's not playing well, you got a bad system. Right. I think it's a it's an amazing point. So yes. if you think Jimmy Garoppolo is a great quarterback or could be a great quarterback, but he's just not playing well in your system it doesn't mean that Jimmy G's bad. It means that you didn't do enough with your system to match the talents. Same with Jared Goff. Now, I'm not st- I'm not going to put my neck on the line and say these two guys are great. I don't think that. But I am saying this. There are certain systems or coaches who overvalue their systems over the specific talents of their players, and we could specifically see this error occur with the Rams. And the 49ers, I think it's less likely with the Rams because I have a lot more belief in Stafford than I do with any of the potentially drafted quarterbacks that the 49ers could get because they're untested at the pro level. Matthew Stafford has a track record, and I think he's a really talented quarterback at this level. He's played on garbage teams. So we'll see how the match works with him and McVay Mm -hmm. running that system. We'll see what happens with the Niners. But if they get this wrong again. It's either going to be John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan who are feeling the blame together or, one more so than other, whoever put their neck on the line for who gets taken third overall. And
6: it's the same thing with the Rams. Yep. If Matthew Stafford... Oh, it's Sean McVay. I mean, that's on Sean McVay. Yeah, there's no question about that I mean, you literally banking your future. You gave away your drafts. Yeah. To make this change at quarterback, to bring in a guy that you believe, you, did, the coach, yes. is the right guy to run my offense at the highest possible level. I just It's amazing to me you have these two young coaches who got to back-to-back Super Bowls. They're in the same division, same hype and everything else. And right now, just a year after getting to Super Bowls, overhauling the quarterback position because the guys they have in place – yeah, they don't believe. Even though both those guys had success, Goff had success, Garoppolo had success. They both got you to the Super Bowl. Yep. And yep. yet you decide a year afterwards they're not the right guys, and you are turning your franchises upside down, giving away future first round picks for the 49ers to move up to three, for the Rams to get to get rid of a contract. Yeah. I, uh, this is to me fascinating how this is going to play out for these two teams. Well,
7: and and look, I I. D- you know, don't. <laughs> if it works out, I mean, we are going to absolutely coordinate.
6: Who, <laughs> like whichever? I'm more one. interested if it doesn't work out. I, I get that. Then I, what are you going to do? You're going to expel young coaches that you were so high on just a few years ago? Yeah, guys absolutely. that got their teams to Super Bowls. 100. Wow. Look, you
7: get you get two bad years in this league. Yeah. I say it all the time. Yeah. You you you, you go you go the wrong direction mm. for two years. This is Belichick too. He's coming off a bad year. If Bill Belichick himself. Has a bad year this next season, whatever it be, uh, a seven and ten record. Since we have a seventeen game regular yeah. season, you know, uh, uh, an eight and nine record. Mm-hmm. Trust me when I tell you, there are going to be murmurs about whether or
6: not Belichick is going to be replaced. I think that Belichick, the GM, could be in danger because again, he just went out and spent one hundred thirty million dollars. I don't know about Belichick, the coach. It depends I still, on how I, bad it gets. I still think I still you think, two he, I still think when week. you consider everything about last year, I think he did one of his best coaching jobs. <laughs> I'm not. I, I mean, he had a quarterback that had to pull a full new system in, who then went down with COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had more players sit out the season than any other guy. Yeah, like a dozen. Yeah, they were paying the price for kicking the can down the road with the cap, so they were just barren of any kind of skill talent. Yeah, and they still almost had a 500 season. I'm not. I'm not doubting for a second that he
7: did probably about as good as he could considering the right. circumstances. But there, there. This, this is this is the no fair zone. Uh, know. You know what I'm saying? Like the NFL, nobody cares about your feelings or how hard you work. They want results. Yeah. So if they, what if they go three and fourteen next season? You think a lot of people are going well, to let be me high ask this. on?
6: Okay, do you think that then, if they got rid of Belichick, would they put McDaniel's in? Isn't that the reason he stayed in New England as the coach in waiting? But the the point is, I don't
7: necessarily think they're even going to have to exercise that option. I'm not saying the Patriots are going to have a bad year. My point is, every coach gets two bad years, or even just one, Mm. and then teams start looking to move on. I mean, it happened with Peterson, with the
6: Philadelphia Eagles. It happens all the time. Don Shula's last 22 years as the Dolphins coach – they won zero Super Bowls, zero. Twenty-two years, his last twenty-two years. That ain't that's that's not the <laughs> that mind. would never happen Doug, again.
7: Doug Peterson has yeah. a statue of him and his starting quarterback outside the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, uh, uh, stadium. They put that up like two and a half years ago.
6: <laughs> he he's 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 gone, <laughs> right. my friend. Gone, gone. Two but bad he's still years. he's still the guy that got him to their first Super Bowl. All right, let's find out what's trending right now. We bring back David Gascon, who. Uh, so, when you're when you when you're at your first Academy Awards and nominated. That's right. Yeah, you did um, you say
5: know, this is the year, this is the decade.
6: This will, this will be your decade. And I said that Deca- decade of Gascon. Decade of Gascon. It so. got off to a rough start, but it's yeah. moving in the right direction yeah, now. Yeah, it's
5: trending upwards.
6: So, you know, like Brad Pitt would bring his mom. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's Brad Pitt. I mean, he could bring anybody, right? Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. brought yeah. his mom. So, if you had a guest. Uh, as you're sitting there anxiously waiting for the opening of the envelope to find out if you won your first acting Oscar, uh, who's most likely to be sitting next to you? Ah, uh, man. Will and it you, be you, a starlet? It, Would it be
2: your it,
5: future wife? It, Would it, it be your mom? It, or, I mean,
6: And like, it could
5: only be one person? Mm, yeah. I'd probably have to say the chief. The chief, I'd yeah. probably have to bring my dad. Yeah, yeah. how about that? yeah yeah I mean uh mm. can't go anywhere without family sporting
7: that
6: mustache
5: man he uh, still yeah. got it yeah he does you know Tom yeah. Selleck back your ass off mm. Jeff Kent no chance
6: Woody I mean you know knowing like the camera you know like when they announce the nominees and they focus in and whoever's next to you is yeah. most likely getting again he's done a little brush on that mustache uh, oh, just be knowing a little, m- that little bit
5: I, yeah. I think that you'll have so many people that'll be like wait a minute that's the OJ guy that's exactly <laughs> what it
6: would be right. like so. I didn't know he Was not no. It's the other guy. You're you're the nominee. Exactly. Although he
5: did uh, the 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 final year that they allowed this, he actually was a part of the ESPN coverage for the documentary OJ Made in America. Yes. And they won an Emmy for that.
6: Well, he won the Oscar. That the Oscar. Excuse me. They won the Oscar for that. But that was the last year
5: that they allowed documentaries to be qualified to win an Oscar. Correct. So yeah, yeah it was kind of, it was awesome. But yeah, he was a part of that. I think it was a five-part sure. series. Run, mm. Runs in the family. Wow. Kind of wild. So, kind of wild. Uh, adding so, to that, good stuff. Twenty-two years for Don Shula. 22. The last twenty-two years yeah. that he
6: was the after <laughs> they won the back-to-back Super Bowls, seventy-two and seventy-three seasons, he was there twenty-two more years. They went to two Super Bowls, lost them both.
5: It's a long time. Now, since you are a a sports historian, yeah. When was the last time Iowa football won a national title? A good Iowa football a good won a national
6: title? Well, it, it, technically 1960 seems to be in some dispute. Minnesota beat Iowa that year. Beat them
5: down, too.
6: Uh, but uh, oh, no. oh, there seems no. to be some dispute that Iowa fans still hang on to some obscure system <laughs> gave uh, them the 1960 fly by interject national champion <laughs> <No, you're- laughs>
0: I think uh, Iowa fans mostly recognize a split national championship with LSU and I believe fifty eight. Something like that. Wow. So See, again, they, they've but, never had a but real. But
6: in, in those days L S U won both polls. Same yeah. thing with nineteen sixty. Yeah before Evashevsky days. Did you yeah. ever meet Forrest Evershevsky? No, he passed away about five years ago,
0: I believe. Yes, he did. Um, yeah, an Iowa legend. Yes, yes, he was. The you know, last time they, they won a Rose Bowl,
6: so <laughs>
8: yes. Go way back.
6: Him um, and Artie Krimenaker. Yes. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, Hayden Fry could never win that Rose Bowl. Galloping no, In late. fact, they are mostly blowouts.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Iowa has it. not
6: fared well in the Rose Bowl good. since
5: yeah, the. I like to hear that. Yeah.
6: this is more Iowa football than anyone's talked about. <laughs> yeah, nobody. <in> a <laughs> cares.
5: Long, time. long time. Hey guys, uh, a little bit of good news uh, from last night UFC 261 Uh, Chris Weidman he's out of surgery his wife had sent some pictures on Instagram that uh, Weidman's out of surgery now Uh, he's recovering he's he suffered a compound fracture last night against Uriah Hall 17 seconds into the match Steve did you watch that at all I know Rich did
7: oh yeah oh yeah yeah, that was absolutely Man. awful. That's
5: a leg ch- that's a leg kick being checked and then snapped. Yeah. Ugh.
7: Well, and and we're going to see more of this because the the calf kick, you yeah. know, the the basically the reason why Conor McGregor lost to Dustin Poirier was I mean, it was just fundamentally a great way to attack a, a great striker because you yeah. You know, but the problem is <laughs> If you're swinging your shin at somebody and they check that that low kick, I mean, th- you could break you could break the tip fib in one false swoop. We've seen it a couple of times now.
5: Yeah, Anderson Silva. Yep, yeah. I mean, a few years ago. Uh, just...
7: And the worst part about it is after it happens, because their plant leg obviously isn't the one in jeopardy. It's the one they swung the kick with. Yep. They always go back to try to plant on the broken leg and it just sort of folds under them, and it is excruciating.
5: Well, what
6: is more shocking to you guys, like a situation like that where you know you break a bone suddenly, or a clean knockout where somebody literally is out instantly? The knockouts—I mean, when you have a literally a lights out. Knockout. The no, oh, the leg.
7: Yeah, the the knockouts easier to watch because we've seen so many of them throughout. You know, the. But oh, I'm, I'm
6: not. T- I'm talking about a clean knockout. Like yeah. like you
5: right on the button and they out oh. yeah i i think still the way i think the leg yeah yeah
7: it's, it's, it's really disturbing to I see mean, like someone else's leg wrap around someone else's leg. i
5: i feel like i mean I, I don't know statistically speak i feel like you're more likely to see a perfect game or someone hit for the cycle than for someone to have a leg that just snaps like that oh. in a fight although oh. who was the player for louisville that snapped his leg right in front of rick Petino?
7: Oh yeah, I don't remember his name, but I remember the play. That was
5: like right next to. You shooting uh, a Bechie three-pointer, ball. right? And it, when he landed, it just went. Oh, Jeez, yeah, geez, that was geez. that was pretty bad. Uh, guys, some challenging news right now. Central Michigan quarterback John Keller is actually in serious condition after being shot. The quarterback was actually at a party uh, <laughs> last night. Um, he's in serious condition, and according to CMU president. Dr. Bob Davies, another CMU student, also was shot. Uh, He's in stable condition. I guess they were at a party last night and a fight broke out. Someone went to the car, grabbed a firearm, and started firing away, and uh, Keller was hit. And right now he is in serious condition. Some more to come on that. Uh, In the NBA, Brooklyn, Nets down by two to Phoenix, 61-59. Kevin Durant did not start this game, but he is playing. Eight minutes, he's got nine points, four of eight from the field, and the Oakland A's had their 12-game winning streak snapped today, no pun intended, uh, getting beat by Baltimore, 8-1. All
6: right, David, good stuff today. Yeah. Very, very good stuff as usual today. Always appreciate it. Um, getting back to the draft here, Rich, um, I, I did, again, there's a certain level of uncertainty. Uh, one thing that we are going to see uh, carry over, we mentioned this early in the show today, is we're going to see, I think they have like 45 players uh now signed up or we're going to be sort of part of their intimate circle of friends and family and and watch them as they react either being drafted higher or lower or where they expected in this draft and I think that is that is all a good thing There's, you 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 that's going back to the pandemic we were talking earlier about this off-season conditioning everything else what's really necessary and you can feel like the union was empowered because There was no offseason. It was all virtual. No preseason games. Very limited training camp. And yet you pulled off a full season. And honestly, it didn't look a whole lot different than any other season we've seen.
7: By the way, uh, just wanted to mention this real quick. Shohei Otani just hit a 440-foot bomb. Nice. I mean, it was... I, I it I mean it's just unbelievable how powerful that guy is and uh, playing in the outfield I I think yesterday I don't know if where he's on the lineup card today but I mean just magnificent what he's doing at the plate I'm curious if we're ever going to see him turn into truly the two way player that has been promised
6: Well one thing I do like about Joe Madden as opposed to uh, what Mike Socha was doing originally with Otani is that he's allowing himself to hit for himself as a pitcher Yeah. So, and we saw him bat second in the lineup. And that had been over 100 years since a pitcher had actually batted second in the lineup, as opposed to his rookie season, where if he was pitching, he would just be a pitcher and they would have a DH. Um, Look, I mean, when you, again, we were talking earlier about Fernando. He's DHing today.
7: But yesterday, I think yesterday he played in the outfield. He had only done it. Something
6: like sixty plus times in Japan. Well, Joe Madden's down, recognizing be, I gotta Yeah, I gotta get him in the lineup. I'm just yeah. pitching, hitting, whatever. He's always gonna be in the lineup. Again, another unique talent that if baseball played it right. Now I understand he's he doesn't speak English and there's limitations language-wise and everything else, but don't worry about it. Feature the talent. Yes. You know, and, yes. and give you something to look at uh, that's a little out of the norm. Um, just get to get back to the draft here for a moment though, as far as surprises are concerned, Rich, do you, do you see, do you see anything we were mentioning earlier and I, yesterday with Jeff Schwartz, he did the first 12 picks in the draft and Mac Jones was still on the board. Well, I um, think
7: the surprise is going to be how much movement there is. I think because we have, so you do see a lot of trades. I, I think we're going to, I, if, if you were going to give me one and a half, I'd take the over. I think there's going to be two plus trades in the first ten picks of this draft, right? I just feel just based on
6: these quarterbacks. Yeah,
7: I just feel like when you have this many highly regarded talents at the position that's most important to the sport, and you have more and more teams willing, not just willing to take chances like they've never used to. I I mean, again, I go back to the Arizona Cardinals who allowed their general manager Steve Keim. To take Josh Rosen, and then and and Josh Rosen was what a uh, eleventh uh, overall, tenth. oh he's tenth, tenth overall pick, and then a year later mm-hmm. they they just they ship him off to Miami and they go back to the draft and they take Kyler Murray first overall. I mean it's just incredible the amount, and you we're seeing this happen more and more. The evaluation period is shortening. You have Teams moving off of quarterbacks faster than they ever used to. Everybody is searching for the guy and they're not waiting they're not waiting it out any longer. They're getting impatient. And so I I see I see a lot of general managers looking at this this draft and saying, This is where I make my mark. I gotta I gotta try to find my way to throw my hat in the ring and get my guy and start the process. Because if you don't, you're not long for that
6: job. Let's take Trevor Lawrence out of the equation. Of course. He's going to be first overall. Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson. Go ahead. Do you really see a superstar quarterback in that foursome? Well, here's what I do. Or is it just a better alternative to what these teams already have?
7: Here's what I do see. I see the potential for a team – For example, like the San Francisco 49ers, almost regardless who they pick, could have immediate success with the quarterback they draft. Because that's a good team. That's a Super Bowl team two years ago. They would have been a much better team last year if not for injury. They have talent they need a quarterback who can not only operate the system, but stay healthy. And if you have an added bonus of being able to make some plays once they're comfortable in the system, all the better. But like the 49ers are a perfect example of a team that could take one of these quarterbacks and have automatic success. And so it'll look like, wow, it turns out that Mac Jones, or it turns out that Justin Fields... Is was the guy of this draft. Meanwhile, it's really that that's the team that was closest to having success. Whereas the Jacksonville Jaguars are far off that path, and so are
6: the Jets. You know, do you honestly believe any of these guys, and we're up against the clock, but any of these guys coming out of college have better weapons projected to the NFL than Sam Darnold did a couple of years ago? But but again, Darn Darnold. Um. Well, actually, I'll tell you what. Wilson, All right, on the other side, tell me. I tell me. Wilson very yeah. similar to Darnold. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, again, you're replacing Darnold with the similar <laughs> yeah, guy. Exactly. That's, that's weird. All right. Uh, we'll we'll get you uh set for a big, big, big week in sports coming up next. Yeah, we are uh, sitting here in the break. I was showing Rich.
7: Yeah, we were talking about the Usman masvidal fight that went out yesterday, and Kamaru Usman wins. Via knockout, and then dove on top of Masvidal and gave him some parting shots before the referee, the ring ring official broke them up. And now we're going back and looking at knockouts across <laughs> across time and space, boxing and UFC and mixed martial arts. I mean, we're
6: talking clean knockout, yeah. like you know, out <laughs> lights out. <laughs> Yeah. What, which one know. are
7: we watching here? That was
6: the uh, Floyd Patterson, Ingemar Johansson. Was, Floyd Patterson became the first heavyweight champion to regain his championship. He had gotten knocked down seven times in the first fight. He tagged Johansson with a perfect left hook.
7: Yeah, he leapt into that one. Right here comes boom. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Almost took his
5: head off. Oh,
6: wow. And nah. he and his leg is shaking at the end. That's what I is uh, out. Not good. Not a good way to make a living. Uh, much better what we do here. Of course, Iowa Sam. He'd step in the ring with anybody. He's ready I to don't roll. Know about that. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm feeling woozy
0: enough just eating a burrito in like five bites, <laughs> which I did just now. And
6: very good. Nah, I'm very sleeping. Good. Very good. Well, uh, thank you, Iowa Sam, as usual. David Gascon.
5: Yes, a tremendous yes.
6: job today as well. It, it
5: feels like a fling, but if you want to go to YouTube and just look up Mike Tyson knockouts, oh, the, I, didn't just that. I, I remember that trend in the '90s when it just felt like you ordered a pay per view, which was like forty nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. and the fight would be over in a minute. Oh, don't get me started. His knockout of Michael Spinks Woo! was the same day
6: uh, when I was working for the Raiders uh, that we had a big golf tournament at Riviera Country Club, and we realized the date of the tournament was the same day as that fight that everybody wanted to see. Yeah. And they didn't have the mechanism to set it up, so we had to spend all this money to set it up for everybody to see that fight. 90 yeah. seconds.
5: <laughs> I was
6: like, oh, my, did we actually do that? Um, and how about Ryan jumping in today? Ryan, a lot of work today, as usual. Always challenged with our wow. show. That
7: is... Uh... You are getting a standing ovation. Thank you.
6: you.
0: There's no tougher four hours to work in sports media than this show right now. Yeah, I (laughs) know. It's a lot of work. A lot of work for us out here.
6: We keep it interesting. We try to... Um, All right. Well, we have less than a minute here, Rich. Uh, Your thoughts? Uh, How excited are you about Thursday and the draft? And uh, ultimately, who do you think the 49ers will take with the third overall pick?
7: I think it's most likely going to be Mac Jones. Mm -hmm. I, I think that... I, I don't necessarily completely buy the hype um, because I, I, I can't wait to see if Kyle Wilson is available. I mean, we're all sold that he's going straight to the Jets, but, but if Wilson goes happen.
6: to the Jets, you think it's going to be Mac Jones at number three? Yeah. And is he going to be a success of the 49ers if he's taking at three? We'll see. <laughs>